0: All right. Good morning. Good morning, all. Welcome to the Shabbat meeting. I'm Marcus Arya. Let's see. There's James and Maria Isabel. Glad to see you. Shabbat Hi. Good morning or good afternoon, as the case may be.
1: Yes, it is. One in the afternoon.
0: Yeah, yeah. Hi, Devery. Good to see you. We're gonna try something here in just a minute. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom.
2: Shabbat shalom.
3: Shabbat shalom.
1: Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom.
2: Shabbat
1: shalom. brother shalom. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. 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 All
0: right. I okay. love you, John. It's a, a beautiful. Oh, Make own sure it's,
2: it's kosher buffalo.
0: <laughs> what's
4: the dinner? John ball, what's the dinner?
0: Well, you guys are all welcome. We're actually going to be having a bit of a braai here tonight. Uh, <laughs> Uh, You're still. Let's see.
2: Right.
0: We're gonna find out. I'm gonna try something here and see if we can actually simulcast on Telegram again today. I'm gonna see if I can get it done. I think. I think I picked up what was missing in the equation. And uh yeah, it was something strange. Okay, we'll, we'll see if we we'll yeah. see if we have it on if it's got it or not. Anyway, good morning. Hi Hilary, hi Sherry, good yeah. to see you, Bob and Michelle. Glad you're here. Hi, oh, Lynn. Perfect. Yeah. Can't yeah well, hi, Steve. Hey, good. Nice to meet you. Oh, here. Hi, Ohusay. Good to see you. Hi, Murray. And of course, John Barr is with us. John, good to see you, brother.
5: Shabbat Shalom from Malaysia.
0: Shabbat Shalom, <laughs> Thank you. Yes. You. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> now in Malaysia, what time is it there?
5: Uh, one, uh, one o'clock past midnight.
0: One o'clock. Oh, wow. Okay. So you had to stay up a little bit late for this.
5: That's all right. The night is still young, so to say. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well,
5: it's a miracle of uh, new technology, zooming that oh, yeah. um, that I'm on the other side of the world can uh, see you all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. Now, what day is it for you there?
5: Uh, it's Sunday now, <laughs> <laughs> but but it's on Sunday. It's, a, uh, it's past midnight. It, it, it's called Sunday, but it's it's still. It's still the Shabbat.
0: Yeah, you? I mean, the reason I'm asking this because, of course,
5: sunrise. Uh, to sunrise. Yeah, yeah. Not sunset to sunset, sunrise or sunrise.
0: Yeah. So, also, I mean, you know, I have to tell you, uh, you know, one time I was flying home from Asia and we left the airport at noon on Friday and we got back to my town at noon on Friday. And I asked mm-hmm. myself the question if I kept flying west, could I get back to the airport before I left? Mm. That was yes, a real question. Yes. <laughs> and of course, I think uh, Bruce Willis explored that in some movie where he actually did it.
1: Anyway,
5: if you cross <laughs> the international deadline, you gain one day.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. The
3: road call. The, the right real. call. <laughs> yeah. It meant. It. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay.
0: okay, let's see here. I now, I think we are actually broadcasting. We're actually broadcasting. on You
2: are broadcasting on on Moral, on way.
0: On on the what? way on Telegram. The hallelujah.
2: Yes.
4: Okay. yes. Uh, yeah.
0: You know what I was leaving out, Eileen? You have to start <laughs> the stream from Telegram first. Yes. And, and then zoom <laughs> in. There and so this I mean I do it all the time when I broadcast on Radio Free Alaska, but mm-hmm. I was missing this equation. Anyway, uh mm-hmm. continued to admit people here and it's a good morning. You know, it's so great to meet with all of you this morning because I'll tell you it just makes my week when we come together. And uh uh it really does. I mean, it, it uh it's the highlight of the week here all right now. Let me see here. I'm gonna try to get the, the par shot open on another screen so I can actually read it and share the screen with you guys as we admit everybody. But I have to tell you, you know, when I did Thursday night, I was thinking it was going to be a blessing uh, to do that show. But for some people, it hasn't been a blessing at all. I mean, they don't they don't like that message. And so they've kind of come back out after me. And, and it's been kind of brutal out here, you know what I mean? But brutal or not, we take what we can get. And uh, one question that came up on the way was the discussion of what's called the Dalton. And uh, the Dalton, you know, uh, I'm not quite sure what the Dalton or the mole uh, has to do with the discussion, but apparently it had to, a lot to do with it. Given the fact that we start talking about genetics, we get into the far end of things very, very quickly. But I do believe that when we talk about scripture, though, scripture is a genetic model. And that it really does, when you talk about the seed of Yasharel, and uh, the seed of Noah, and the seed of Abraham, and the seed of the woman, and so forth, that you are talking about genetics. You're talking about lineage, right? And it's so interesting that Matthew 1 would open up with the generations of Yahusha HaMashiach, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And that is... I think a very interesting opening line for the New Testament. I mean, what do you guys think? I mean, I just think the New Testament is absolutely a fascinating uh, work because it contains information that is just explosive. And uh, so uh, as a consequence, uh, we see some uh, we see some things that begins with explosive material right at the beginning. And you know one of the things that I find so interesting about the New Testament is when, is when Mashiach is talking with John, or, or in the Gospel of John rather, he's talking with the, the Pharisees and they're having an argument. We know who our father is. Who's your father? We know who our father is. And well, who's your father? Our father was Abraham, but we were never in captivity to anyone. Now, when we get into the, to the Parshat today, or yeah, the Parshat, We're going to be talking about uh, the confrontation with Edom. And the confrontation with Edom, there is a point made that says, it is I, Yasharel, your brother. Of course, you know, hundreds of years later, but it is I, Yasharel, your brother, uh, will you let us pass? Now, how did Edom become the brother of Yasharel? Well, it tells us back in Genesis, that Esau is Edom. Esau is Edom. Now, before we get into that, I want to I to whiteboard this for just one second because there's something that we need to know here about this, which is this: that when when we look at when we look at uh, the word Edom, we see this word, you know, which is this. You know, this Aleph, Dalet, Mem, Sophie. Okay, so this word you might recognize right off the bat as Adam. So we get a distinguishment by the Masorites. Who say, well, we're not going to be talking about Adam here. We're going to place uh, what's uh, what's called the Holham. We're going to place a holem here. So by doing so, and then by and then by placing a, uh, a Shurik here, this becomes Edom. Now, the very same word. If you were to put a comet here, which is like this, then you would see this as a dome. Now a dome is what? Red. Red. And so arguably Eden was red. Arguably the earth from which Adam was taken was red. And, but either way, you're talking about the same spelling. So if we come in and we say, well, look, we're not going to accept the Masoretic view. We're just going to delete these, nikudot, and we're going to look and say, all right, well, what is this word? It's possible that what was being said about Esau is that an Esau is Edom was actually saying an Esau is Adam. Now, under those circumstances, what is trying to be said there in that scripture is that Esau went from the chosen Esau went from being a chosen. Well, huh? met everybody here. Esau went from being chosen. to, he went from chosen to, to common. That's kind of the idea that Esau went from chosen to common. And uh, so, this is something that I think we need to understand in talking about Edom and talking about the transition of Esau into Edom, and that Edom would be considered the brother of Yasharel in the Torah portion, the brother of Yasharel in the Torah portion. Okay. And we're also going to see something interesting with this very same word that we're going to see when we start talking about the red heifer. Now it's interesting because we see in red, we see the word Adom. And so uh, as a consequence, if you're going to stay consistent with the uh, Masoretic pronunciation, you're going to see of course the Holm here and you're going to see the combats here. And this gives you Adom. So you would expect to see this when talking about the red heifer that you would, you would see this color here. But this isn't what we see there at all. When it comes to the red heifer, we see, we see this, we see, first of all, you have here, maim, and then you have this, and you have this. So here, this is not talking about Adom red, but rather is talking about Adama. And when we talk about Adama, the phrase used for the Holy Land is this phrase, not Eretz Kodesh, but rather Adama. Kodesh. Adama Kodesh means the Holy Land. Okay. So Adama is a particular reference to red earth, if you will. And anybody who lives in Georgia knows that that state is nothing but red earth. I mean, you dig it up a little bit and you're going to find red earth. Conversely, if you're up in Mount Carmel in Israel and you dig up the earth, you find white lime, white limestone. Very easy to carve, very easy to work with. Okay. We'll clear that. We'll get back in here and we will see if we have anybody in the waiting room. Okay, we don't. Yes, we do. Okay. Okay, I thought I admitted all those people, but let's admit them again, let's see if we get everybody in. Some people, for those of you who are new to the to this Sabbath greeting, we have people here now from Malaysia. People from uh, England, people from the Netherlands, people from South Africa, uh, people from far distant points of the world and, of course, all over America and Canada. And as a consequence, almost everybody here is in a different time zone. And I think I'm probably in the earliest time zone of us all because for me, it's 9 a.m. in the morning, now 9.15. But, uh, yeah, we have a very early time clock. And I think only Hawaii is earlier than we are. So... That's where we are. All right. Okay. So with that kind of preliminary discussion now, we're, we're going to take a look at the Torah portion. Which so would help if I got the Torah portion open, wouldn't it? Yeah.
2: Okay, hold on. Uh, Mr. Altman, I was glad to see. You know, when I
0: go to, Convert the recording of the Sabbath meeting. Because the Sabbath meeting is a quite large video recording. It usually takes me at least six hours to convert the recording. And sometimes longer. Uh, because I have to keep the computer open for it to do it. So usually what I do is I put on a 10-hour fireplace on YouTube. So the computer will stay open long enough for me to do this. All right. Now we're going to look at the Torah portion uh, here. This is Chukrat uh, Balak. And we're going to go through this. It's kind of a, a long Torah portion, but I want to go through it with this anyway. Okay. All right. So if you guys are ready, then let's get started with a little prayer. Right. Okay. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Shabbat. And Father, we thank you for gathering us together under your wings as a kehillah before you, as a fellowship before you, that we have come together in your name, the children of Yasharel and those who so drink with them. To lift up your name and to look what it is that you have given to us in your word. Thank you for the opportunity to do that, Father. Bless our time together in shalom and in grace. That we would be kind and merciful to one another. And that our words would be kind and edifying before you. Be with us in spirit and truth today. Yehovah Sevot. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Okay. All right. Well, let me see if I can share the screen here. Good luck. I had such problems on Thursday night getting the screen share. going. But, you know, you never can tell technologically. I might actually find out what I'm doing. You never know. It could happen. Okay. All right. So here we go. Let's begin here. This is from the Parsha. This is from Numbers, Chapter 19, and going through Chapter 22. Interesting where the Parsha would cut off because we miss out one of the most difficult passages in all the Torah. And maybe it's good that we we leave it out. All right. And Yahweh spoke unto El Moshe and unto El Aharon, saying this is the ordinance of the Torah which Yahweh has commanded, saying, speak unto the children of Yashareh that they bring you a red heifer without spot. And wherein there is no blemish. And upon which never came a yoke. And ye shall give her unto Eleazar the priest, that he may bring her forth without the camp. And one you Are sure you rather
2: have sonic, or you want me to go in here and grab a plate?
0: plate? Well, you can grab a plate if you'd like, but probably better if you kept that conversation to yourself. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Let me continue. All right. Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring you a red heifer. Now, again, here we're going to look at this verse on Esau possibly, to get an idea of what's being said here. And ye shall give her unto Eleazar the priest that he may bring her forth without the camp and one shall slay her before his face. In fact, let's just stop right there and look, okay? Let's look, I think it's worth the time to do it. Okay, dropping the numbers. Numbers nineteen.
1: Okay. Okay. And check them. Yeah, nineteen two. Okay. All right. And you guys can
0: see E sword? Okay, I'll take that as a yes. All right. Yes.
1: Okay. Yes.
0: Okay, thank you, James. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Kurt. appreciate that. Okay, let's see here. Numbers 19, 2. Okay, now so you're going to take and Yawa Mer right? Dabar. Okay, gave these words. Al-Beni Yasharel. Yakara Allah. Okay. Now here it is right here. Now look at this word and see if what I was telling you was true.
1: The word we see here is right here. Okay.
0: And when we look at this, what we're going to be told is,
1: come on, you can do it. There we go. Yeah, you see? Well, again here just might. Adom.
0: Now, do you see that Strong's tells us here that the word is Adom? And you can see that as, as I was describing to you earlier, you know the nikkudot. you can see the Komets and the uh, holam, giving you the Ah and the o. Pronunciation in Adam. However, that's what Strong's is telling us the word is. But if you look at the word, you see that it's Aleph Dalit Mem He. In other words, the word is as I told you it was. Second. to get everybody in here.
1: And Let's go into it here.
0: So you see that the word is like this. Aleph, Dalit, And then Mem. Not Mem Sofit, just Mem. And then He. That is the word we see here. Now you have to remember that there has been huge mythology built of the red heifer you guys know that a lot of people have shared videos oh somebody found a red heifer in texas and they sent it over to israel and it's a red heifer without blemish therefore the third temple is going to be built and on and on and on it goes about the red heifer maimonides wrote extensively about the red heifer but we can see that it really is not red at all it's just a, a a a cow from the land, an Adama, not Adom, but Adama. And so this is, again, you know, you see, quite often you see things where you see something in scripture that it becomes really quite unusual. Uh, Like, for instance, somebody wrote me the other day about the covenant with the many. Uh, Who's going to make the covenant with the many? Well, there have been many covenants with the many, quite frankly. And a lot of people thinking that they've done the covenant with the many in the middle of the week, when in fact, they haven't, or in fact, they have done it. But the true covenant in the middle of the week is the covenant that was made by Mashiach. And this was in a week of years that took place when his ministry began, and he was killed halfway through the ministry. As Daniel 9.27 indicates, he would be cut off, but the city would not be destroyed. And in the middle of the week, which is exactly when it happened. And three and a half years later on Yom Kippur, they sent out the Azazel goat and it did nothing. When they determined the goat by means of a red ribbon, the red ribbon had forever turned white when the sins of the people were placed on the Azazel goat before he was sent into the wilderness. And in the year 31, A.D. It never did that again. Stop doing it. Now, from my point of view, that's exactly three and a half years later, because you have to remember that Yom Kippur is six months after Pesach. Mashiach was, of course, identified on Pesach and crucified on Pesach, and so six months later, we would have the, the feast of, uh, we'd have Yom Kippur, and Yom Kippur then would be three years later from 28 A.D., the year of the crucifixion. So as a consequence, we can see that the...
1: Uh, okay, hold on just a minute. All right. Some people are having a
0: really difficult time getting on here today. So I don't understand. All right. So with that being said now, uh, let's go back to the Torah portion and get back in here. Okay. And you shall give her to Eleazar the priest, he may bring her forth without the camp, and one shall slay her before his face. Now, I want to ask you a question. If the red heifer has been slain, is it a dead body? Well, yes, it is. All right, and Elazar the priest shall take of her blood with his finger and sprinkle her blood directly before the tabernacle of the assembly seven times, and one shall burn the heifer in his sight. Her skin, her flesh, and her blood with her dung shall he burn, and the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet, and cast it into the midst of the burning heifer. Okay, cedar wood. Hyssop, scarlet, and cast it into the midst of the burning heifer. Now, you might recall, hyssop was used in two places prior, or, or in two places that you might find of significance. One is, you see that the hyssop was used to dip in the blood of the lamb, the Pesach lamb, and people were instructed to dip the hyssop into the blood of the Pesach lamb and to strike twice the doorposts of their homes that death might pass over them. And later we see the hyssop dipped into the vinegar and placed up to the mouth of Mashiach just before he died in response to his statement that he was thirsty, okay. Then the priest shall wash his clothes and he shall bathe his flesh in water. And afterward, he shall come into the camp and the priest shall be unclean until the even. Now, wait a minute. This is a priest who touched a dead body, but he's going to be, he's only going to be unclean until even, right? And he that burns her shall wash his clothes in water and bathe his flesh in water and shall be unclean until the even. And a man that is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and lay them up about the camp in a clean place. And it shall be kept for the assembly of the children of Yashorel for a water of separation. It is a purification for sin. Now, this, you're going to see here that, and let's talk about this. And he that gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the even. And it shall be under the children of Yasharela, and under the stranger that sojourns among them, for a statute forever. He that touches the dead body of any man shall be unclean seven days. Any man. Right? He that touches the dead body of any man, he shall purify himself with it on the third day. And on the seventh day, he shall be clean. But if he purifies not himself with the third day, then the seventh day he shall not be clean. Whosoever touches the dead body of any man that is dead and purifies not himself, defiles the tabernacle of Yahweh, and that soul shall be cut off from Yahshareel, because the water of separation was not sprinkled upon him. Okay, now you might imagine here that this is where you get the idea of holy water being sprinkled on you uh, inside the Catholic church. And the comes by with the, the wand of holy water and he's sprinkling everybody with the holy water, right? But the question is with that holy water, did that holy water come from a red heifer that was without spot that had been burned with hyssop and with scarlet and with cedar wood and that this was where the water of separation came from? And how about the sprinkling that goes on with the baby? And so this is what he that gathers the ashes of the heifer shall be even and just a minute water of it shall be kept for water of separation for the children of Yasharel. It is a purification for sin. All right. Well, now we see that you need to be sprinkled if you touch the dead body. Okay, this is the Torah when a man dies in a tent, all that come into the tent and all that is in the tent shall be unclean for seven days. And every open vessel which has no covering bound upon it is unclean. And whosoever touches one that is slain with a sword in the open field or a dead body or the bone of a man or a grave shall be unclean for seven days. And for an unclean person, they shall Take of the ashes of the burnt heifer of purification for sin, and running water shall be put thereto in a vessel. And a clean person shall take the hyssop and dip it in water, and sprinkle it upon the tent, and upon all the vessels, and upon all the persons that were there, and upon him that touched a bone, or one slain, or one dead, or a grave. And the clean person shall sprinkle upon the unclean on the third day, and on the seventh day, and on the seventh day he shall purify himself, Wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and shall be clean at evening. But the man that shall be unclean and shall not purify himself, that soul shall be cut off from among the assembly. Because he has defiled the sanctuary of Yahweh and the water of separation has not been sprinkled upon him. He is unclean. And it shall be a perpetual statute unto them that he that sprinkles the water of separation shall wash his clothes. And he that touches the water of separation shall be unclean until even. And whatsoever the unclean person touches shall be unclean. And the soul that touches it shall be unclean until even. Well, we know that there is a certain amount to be said for the touching of a dead body and the transmission of potential disease, right? The transmission of disease is all possible. In from touching a dead body, and that these would be precautions that would have to be taken. All right. Chapter 20. Then came the children of Yasharel, even the whole assembly, into the desert of Sin in the first month. And the people abode in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. And there was no water for the assembly. And gathered, they gathered themselves together against Moshe and against Aharon. And the people chode with Moshe and spoke, saying, Would to Elohim that we had died when our brethren died before Yahweh! Why have you brought up the assembly of Yahweh into this wilderness that we and our cattle should die there? And wherefore have you made us come up out of Mitzrayim to bring us into this evil place? It is no place of seed, nor of figs, or of vines, or of pomegranates, neither is there any water to drink. Now, I wanna ask you guys a question. Will the next carry on into the wilderness be the carrying into a similar place? Will the place of the wilderness that is going to be involved for the remnant in the second Exodus, will that be a place that is also a place where there is no seed no figs, no vines, no pomegranates, and no water to drink. And Moshe and Aharon went from the presence of the assembly into the door of the tabernacle of the assembly and fell on their faces, and the glory of Yahweh appeared unto them. And Yahweh spoke unto El Moshe, saying, Take the rod and gather the assembly together, you and Aharon your brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes. And it shall give forth his water. And you shall bring forth to them water out of the rock. So you shall give the assembly and their beasts drink. Okay. Now, here we can see, and we can see it very clearly, that Moshe was told to speak unto the rock. Speak unto the rock. Okay. And Moshe took the rod from before Yahweh, as he commanded him. And Moshe and Aharon gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moshe lifted up his hand, and with his rod, he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the assembly drank, and their beasts also. Okay, now it's very clear here that you can see that Moshe disobeyed, right? Take the rod and speak. Take the rod and speak. And Moshe lifted up his hand and smote the rock twice, right? And he's saying, Must we fetch you water? Okay. So this becomes an act of disobedience. Okay. So Moshe here disobeyed. Now, very important for us to realize that scripture tells us clearly that Moshe disobeyed. Now, even though he disobeyed, nonetheless, the water came out abundantly. Moshe disobeyed, and yet the water came out abundantly. All right. Let's continue. And Yahweh spoke unto El Moshe and El Aharon. Because ye believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Yisrael; therefore ye shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. This is the water of Meravah because the children of Yisrael strove with Yahweh and he was sanctified in them. Now, this becomes something very illustrative, something for us to see. Here, Moshe was told, I'm appointing you to lead the whole of the house of Yisrael out of Mitzrayim into the Holy Land. But because you did this, you took my glory upon yourself. You took my glory upon yourself, taking credit for the giving of water and striking the stone twice, that... Because you didn't sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Yasharel, Therefore, you're not entering the Holy Land. Pretty strident judgment. But the same thing, you know, Herod the Tetrarch, when he stood in front of everybody and everybody stood up and said, Hmm, you are a God. And he did not deny it. He did not rebuke them for saying you are a God. The next thing you know, he fell down and was eaten by worms right in front of him. And it's because it's very, very important to give all credit to Yahweh, who does all these things. Moshe had no talent among himself to do this. This was all given to him by Yah, and Yah put it in his ability, and he could have simply spoken, water would have gushed out of the rock. And Moshe sent messengers from Kadesh under the king of Edom. Thus says your brother, Yasharel. See this. Thus says your brother, Yasharel. Well, Edom was his brother. No, Esau was his brother, and Esau was Edom. You know, at all the travail that has befallen us, how our fathers went down into Mitzrayim, and we have dwelt in Mitzrayim a long time, and the Mitzrayim vexed us and our fathers. And when we cried unto El Yahweh, he heard our voice and sent an angel and has brought us forth out of Mitzrayim, and behold, we are in Kadesh, a city at the uttermost of your border. Let us pass, I pray you, through your country. We will not pass through the fields or through the vineyards, neither will we drink of the water of the wells. We will just go by the king's highway. We will not turn to the right hand nor to the left until we have passed your borders. And Edom said unto him, you shall not pass by me, lest I come out against you with the sword. And the children of Yasharal said unto him, we will go by the highway, and if I and my cattle drink of your water, then I will pay for it. I will only, without doing anything else, go through on my feet. And he said, you shall not go through. And Edom came out against him with many people and with a strong hand. Thus Edom refused to give Yasherel passage through his border. Wherefore, Yasharel turned away from him. Okay, important teaching. And the children of Yasharel, even the whole assembly, journeyed from Kadesh and came unto Mount Hor. And Yahweh spoke unto El Moshe and El Aharon of Mount Hor, by the coast of the land of Edom, saying, Aharon shall be gathered unto his people, for he shall not enter into the land which I have given unto the children of Yasharel because ye rebelled against my word at the water of Merivah. Take Aharon and Eleazar his son and bring them up to Mount Hor, and strip Aharon of his garments and put them on Eleazar his son, and Aharon shall be gathered unto his people and shall die there. Well, amazing, right? This is Yah saying that you're done. All right, you're done. Give your clothes to your son; he's going to take over. Now, of course, you have to remember that Aharon's wife had predeceased him, and so this isn't long after she died, and that uh, Aharon is going to die. And we see that the priestly garments are going to be taken from Aharon and given to Elazar. Now, this is an interesting uh, transition because in this transition here, you will see that. We have a transition uh, taking place, and this is uh, this is by right of inheritance, right? This is by right, the, the priesthood is going to go to Elazar his son. Now, you might recall that there are two basic camps in Islam, okay? And I'm just going to speak to this for a minute, not because I'm teaching Islam, but I want you to see this concept and so in islam you have you have the camp of shia and you have the camp of sunni now these two camps disagree fundamentally at this level okay the shia believe that when muhammad died his son should be the heir to the prophet and should lead Islam. Well, of course, Muhammad had no son, but he had a daughter whose name was Fatima and she had two sons. And so his son, uh, Hussein became the leader of the Shiite movement. Now, and he was killed. He was murdered. And when he was murdered, his uh his city became the sacred shrine of shiite of the shiites in iraq and the sunnis on the other hand took the position no no this is a no go this is we're, we're we're saying no to this idea we're going to say no to this idea and instead we believe this should be a political accession in other words the throne does not go to the heir, but rather goes to the most qualified political person. So before Hussein became active, there was an heir to Muhammad, whose name was Ali. This is where Muhammad Ali got his name, Muhammad I, Ali Second, Imam. And so they believe that the right of accession went to a political leader, not to the son, okay? Now, we can see also that this is common in the way of nobility operates in Europe, right? The king of England became the king when his mother died. It isn't given politically as it is, you know, a prime ministership or a presidency. It's instead, it's given to the son right or wrong. Whether or not the son is qualified is not even an issue. Okay, but we can see in the Torah that this primogenitor, this right of the primogenitor to ascend to the the position of the father is given to us in the Torah. Okay, and Moshe did as Yahweh commanded and they went up to Mount Hor in the sight of all the assembly. And Moshe stripped Aharon of his garments and put them on Eleazar his son. And Aharon died there at the top of the mount. And Moshe and Eleazar came down from the mount. And when all the assembly saw that Aharon was dead, they mourned for Aharon for 30 days, even all of the house of Yasherel. Okay.
2: Dr. Pigeon, there are some people trying to get in.
1: Oh yeah, Ezra got bounced again.
2: Yeah. There are some people trying to get in. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to get him in here right now. let we... Yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. Thank
0: you, Eileen. Appreciate that. Okay, chapter 21. When King Arad, the, Can- the Canaanite, Canaanite, right, which dwelt in the Negev, heard tell that Yasharal came by the way of the spies, then he fought against Yasharal and took some of them prisoners. All right, now at this point, I want to kind of give us, let's try to get some kind of an idea of what we're talking about here. So when you talk about Israel on the side of the Jordan, let's kind of put the map up here like this. We have
1: like Israel running
0: like this, Jordan running up here like this. So we see that Edom was up here. and that Yasharel was coming in this direction because the Canaanites are down here in the Negev. So when they got rebuffed by Edom, they went south this way to make a play against the Canaanites. And so what do we get here? We see that, and Yashorel bowed unto Yahweh and said, if you will indeed deliver this people under my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And Yahweh hearkened unto the voice of Yashorel and delivered up the Canaanim. And they utterly destroyed them in their cities, and he called the name of the place Hormah. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea, by way of the Red Sea, to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people who spoke against Elohim and against Moshe, wherefore have you brought us out of Mizraim to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loathes this manna. And Yahweh sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many people of Yisrael died. Now, here again, you know, we, we saw before that they weren't happy with their condition and they were given the miracle of water and after they were given the miracle of water now they're on their journey again and the water's out and here they go right back into complaining well this time instead of sending water yah sends fiery serpents okay if you guys are going to complain and that's all you can do well then i'm going to send you some serpents okay so this is what happens now Therefore, the people came to Moshe and said, we have sinned, for we have spoken against Yahweh and against you. Pray unto El Yahweh that he takes the serpents away from us. So the need is get rid of the serpents, right? That's our prayer. And Moshe prayed for the people. And Yahweh said unto Moshe, make you a seraph and put it on a banner. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is snake-bitten shall look and live. And Moshe made a serpent of brass and put it upon the pole. And it came to pass that a serpent had bitten any man. He beheld the serpent of brass and lived. All right. So let's take just a moment here. Make sure everybody's in here. And let's go back into Esau for just a minute. And take a look at this very same passage, and let's see what is being said here.
1: So we get in here to 21, eight. Yeah.
0: And so here you see the language. Let me see if I can annotate this a little bit so you guys can see it a little clearer. But here you see, Vayyamer Yahu al Moshe. Okay, and spoke Yahweh to Moshe, right? Okay, now he's going to tell him. He's going to tell him. To put you seem right? Oh, wait a minute. Here it is. Lo saraf. Excuse me. La saraf. So he tells Moshe. Moshe, okay. Make la saraf. The image of a Saraf. Now here you see. Strong's telling us. Oh. Well a Saraf. That's a burning. That is figuratively.
1: Yeah figuratively. Right. Hold on just a minute. These people don't think. They know I'm at a Sabbath meeting. So they bother me. That will
0: end that. They think that it's a poisonous serpent, right? Figuratively, a poisonous serpent, specifically a seraph or symbolic creature from their copper color. Now, this is kind of mind-boggling to me that you would see this discussion point and that Strong's would try to claim that this is what seraph means. When we see a description, a biblical description in three and even four places, but I'm going to, let's call it three places. Of the seraphim, one is, where they're specifically named the seraphim, is in Isaiah. When he is translated to the throne room, and he sees the seraphim, and they have six wings, two wings above them, two wings with which they flew, and two wings with which they covered themselves. And he identifies them as seraphim. And then Yohanan in the book of Revelation also sees these same six-winged creature, creatures. But one has the face of a lion, one has the face of an eagle, one has the face of a man, and one has the face of a bull. And they have the wings that supposedly have eyes. Well, you know, you might imagine that the same way that a peacock's wings have eyes male peacock stretches feathers you see eyes all over the feathers there's no possible way that could have evolved by the way um but the same thing is happening with these wings these wings are covered with eyes and so these are yochanan describing the seraphim and he gives an identical description to the the, the description that isaiah gives which is the plural of sarah Seraph is the singular, seraphim is the plural. And we also see the description, if you look closely in the book of Ezekiel, you can see that he also discusses six-winged creatures, the seraphim. And so Moshe was told to put the image of a seraph on a banner. Now, the word banner here is right here. That's the word nase And you can see NACE, and it's telling us here that that is a flag or a sail by implication, a flag staff, generally a signal, figuratively a token. So it's a banner, it's a banner on a pole, it's a flag, it's an ensign, it's a sail, it's a standard, it's a a flag, it's a banner on a pole. Quote the image of a seraph on a banner on a pole. And everyone will live. And Moshe instead puts a nakash. see, he puts a nakash on a stick. And the nakash, you can see Strong says, Well, nakash is a snake from its hiss, a serpent. He puts a serpent on a pole. Well, this distinction I think is important because once again. Moshe is given explicit instruction, and he disobeys. He disobeys the instruction, and he does what he wants to do, right? Yahweh said to Moshe, make you a seraph and put it on a, on a flag, a standard, a banner, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is snake bitten shall look and live. And Moshe made a serpent of brass and put in upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. This passage becomes huge because in the Gospels, Mashiach says, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. however, What does that mean? Well, in the Wisdom of Solomon, a book that has been deprived and taken away from the average person in the American church who is disallowed from reading the Apocrypha by their pastors, or you can't read the Wisdom of Solomon. In the Wisdom of Solomon, this is explained very clearly that it is not the image on the pole that caused you to live, but the looking up, Yah, that caused you to live, Okay. There's a difference. And the children of Yasharel set forward and pitched in an Ovot, and they journeyed from Ovot and pitched at Ayah, Ayavarim, in the wilderness, which is before Moab, toward the sun rising. So here, now they're in what you might call eastern Jordan. From thence, they removed and pitched in the valley of Zered, and from thence, they removed and pitched at the other side of Arnan, excuse me, Amman which is in the wilderness that comes out of the coast of the Amorim, or no, it's Arnon, is the border of Moab, and between Moab and the Amorim. Wherefore, it is said in the Sefer of the wars of Yahweh. Oh, look at this. Again, we see something that is worthy of note in your own particular Bibles or on your own sephers, that there was a book of wars. The book of wars that is identified right here that doesn't exist in modern manuscripts. Now I have a blog up uh, on Sefer website that discusses all of the books that are named in Scripture that do not exist in Scripture, in addition to a whole bunch of other books that are named that are lost books that are also not in Scripture. So there's kind of a comprehensive blog on that. On the, on, in, at the Sefer. What he did in the Red Sea and in the brooks of Arnon and at the streams of the brooks that go down to the dwelling of Ar and lies upon the border of Moab. So there's a whole discussion of what took place in these wars. And from thence they went to Bear, that is the well where Yahweh spoke unto Moshe, gather the people together and I will give them water. So they simply called that Bear, not Bear Sheba, seven wells of, of Abraham, but just Bear. Then Yasharal sang this song, spring up, O well, sing ye unto it. The princes dug the well. And believe me, this is what they used to do. They used to dig the wells. And they would dig 50 feet to get to a well. Very dangerous uh, thing to do. The nobles of the people dug it by the direction of the Torah giver with their staves, And from the wilderness, they went into Matanah. And from Matanah to Nakaliel. And from Nakaliel to Bamot and from Bamot in the valley that is in the country of Moab to the top of Pisgah, which looks towards Yeshimon. And Yasherel sent messengers unto Sishon, the king of the Emorim, saying, let me pass through your land, and we will not turn to the fields or into the vineyards. We will not drink of the waters of your well, but we will go along by the king's highway until we be past your borders. And Sishon would not suffer Yasherel to pass through his border, but Sishon gathered all his people together and went out against Yasharel into the wilderness. And he came to Yahatz and fought against Yasharel. And Yasharel smote him with the edge of the sword and possessed his land from Arnon unto Yabok, even unto the children of Ammon, for the border of the children of Ammon was strong. And Yasharel took all these cities and dwelt in all the cities of the Emerim. In Heshbon and in the villages thereof. For Heshbon was the city of Sishon, the king of the Amorim, who had fought against the former king of Moab and had taken all of his land out of his hand, even unto Arnon. So you see that the land really didn't even belong to Sishon or the Amorim; He had taken it from the Moabites. Wherefore, they that speak in Proverbs say, come into Heshbon and let the city of Sishon be built and prepared. For there is a fire gone out of Keshbon, a flame from the city of Shishon. It has consumed Ar of the Moab and Baali, Bamot of Arnan. Woe unto you, Moab! You are undone, O people of Chemosh, for he has given his sons that escaped and his daughters into captivity under Shishon, king of the Amorim. We have shot at them. Cheshbon has perished, even under Divion. And we have laid them to waste even under Nofah, which reaches under Deva. Now, you guys might find these on your modern day maps as being nowhere listed anywhere. So trying to define these areas territorially is very, very difficult. And remember that we have to keep in mind that the house of Yasharel is over 2 million people at this point. A very large group of people. Then Yasharel dwelt in the land of the Emirim, and Moshe sent to spy out Ye Azer. And they took the villages thereof and drove out the Emirim that were there. And they turned and went up by the way of Bashan. Now, Bashan, we know, is kind of in what we call, well, we don't know it, but we believe it's in southern Syria. Southern Syria. And they turned and went up by the way of Bashan. And Og, the king of Bashan, went out against them, he and all his people, to the battle at Adri. And Yahweh said unto Moshe, Fear him not, for I have delivered him into your hand, and all his people, and his land. And you shall do to him, as you did to Sishon, the king of the Amarim, which dwelt at Heshbon. So they smote him and his sons and all his people, until there was none of them left alive. And they possessed the land. And they possessed the land and the children of Yasharel set forth and pitched in the plains of Moab on this side of Yardan by Jericho. So now we're going to see that we've entered into this period of time now, where we're going to close out the the tenor and the reign of Moshe. Because we're about ready to enter into the Holy Land, into into Jericho and that's gonna be done under the hand of Yahusha or Joshua. The, uh, the Mashiach, who would lead the house of Israel into the Holy Land. And, uh, but we can see here some things that are taking place that, I mean, I'm going to ask you guys, I'm going to ask you guys, let's take a moment here and talk for just a little bit about this Torah portion. I think there's a lot here. So let's start with Brian. Brian, uh, you want to add some things here to this?
6: I was just going to answer the the findings that I found, your question about the uh, area of um, where we possibly might be going. And I think the answer is in Isaiah 35.1. That whole chapter is about the remnant returning. And I think you'll find in Strong's H61.60, it's used as the word desert in Isaiah. But back in uh, Numbers, I think it is, is used as the word plains. Plain, and yeah, yeah. So the de- and the, so the, and the, the definition according to Strong's, I'm not saying he's right or wrong, but you have to do some you know deductive reasoning because the scripture in Numbers kind of points you to the area, and it's the Valley of Jordan along the Reed Sea where it talks about the sterile, sterile. Uh, and what comes to my mind is. The Dead Sea, which is now sterile, but I understand it's now having life coming back into it. But uh, that whole valley there where they crossed the Jordan at the Reed Sea is where the area, I believe, is going to bloom. That's where real Mount Sinai is. That's going to bloom when they've set up our people. It's a desert now. But when they set up our people show up, it's going to bloom overnight. That's what the scriptures talking about. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So it's going to have grass overnight, trees overnight, springs overnight. um So when we return then. So that's my thought. That was the thought of I had for a long time now. But I thought that might be an input to your question earlier. So that's all I have.
0: Yeah, I think that's a very good response, Brian. And thank you for bringing that up. And you're right. I mean, Ezekiel also predicts a similar thing, right? And he not only says that will it, you know, bloom again. But that the kind of blooms are going to be such that the, I mean, it's going to be the kind of fruit trees and, you know, kind of uh, vegetation that is so prolific, so huge, you know, so healthy, so new, uh, so full of nutrients. And, uh, you know, I mean, it just goes on and on and on describing about how wonderful this reblooming is going to be. Yeah, that's a very good point. But well, it's,
6: it's, it's interesting. Yaa says that you don't let the land rest, he's going to let it rest. And to me, a desert speaks huge of rusting. It's not producing any fruit. It's producing nothing. It's rusting.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I've, I've actually tried to swim in the Dead Sea and I'll tell you one thing they tell you when you're in the Dead Sea, do not put your head underwater with your eyes open. It'll burn your eyeballs right out. And uh, so, you know, it's kind of incredible because you get out there in the water, you know, and you're instantly buoyant. Uh, you can't sink. But, uh, but man, they've got showers right there because you got to get all that stuff off of you like immediately after you come back in. Anyway, and you're right, there's nothing growing there. I think there is some stuff growing up in the northern end now, the northern end of the sea. But, you know, that is that area is 2,600 feet below sea level. No, maybe 1,200 feet, 1,200 feet below sea level. And uh, so it's a, a deep cavern in the earth. It's the deepest point on earth. Uh, you know, that's open other than a cavern that goes that deep below sea level, and uh, so you travel from there to Jerusalem, which is 2600 feet above sea level, and you do that in about 10 miles you know, coming up to Jericho, right, that's all uphill anyway, thank you, Brian thanks for that insight, and uh, quite frankly, I'm edified by that, James and Maria Isabel, go ahead
2: Okay, we're unmuted. Um, Hi,
0: Maria Isabel.
2: Hi, Dr. Pidgeon. Uh, when you made that clarification on uh, Exodus, tw- I mean, Numbers 21, verse 9, mm-hmm. I have also 2 Kings 18, 1 through 4. And I think now I have a better understanding what that means because of how you those words are defined in Hebrew. Uh, I don't know if you want me to read it or if you want to read it. Go ahead. Okay. And it came to be in the third year of Hosea, son of Eliah, sovereign of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, sovereign of Yehuda, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abi, daughter of Zechariah. I think that's how you say it. And he did what was right in the eyes of Yahweh, according to all his father David did. He took away the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the ash, ash, Asherah.
0: Asherah poles. Yeah.
2: And broken pieces, the bronze serpent, which Moshe had made. For unto those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it, And that was it. And that kind of fell in line with what you were saying with those Hebrew words.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you say Nehushatan, that's very interesting because you see two words join there, right? Which is Nakash and Satan, and the adversary of the serpent. But you know, this Nakushtan would also become uh you know Asclepius. And we see in the in the legend of uh Egyptian mythology and Greek mythology and so on, Asclepius was you know the serpent wrapped around the pole. And to this day, it is the symbol of modern medicine.
1: Yes, yeah.
0: And you know, so we see here something that. Um, became an act of disobedience would become a an idol and that idol is still with us you can you can destroy the brass on top of the rod of Aaron all day long but you still end up with that this thing being worshipped yeah and uh so anyway that's kind of the problem we have but thank you um, thank you for reading that passage I really appreciate that that was a passage I was going to bring up but we know it became an idol, and it's very clear. And and when uh, it was destroyed, it was destroyed rightfully before Yah. In other words, no one was admonished for destroying that serpent on a pole. It was destroyed rightfully, and you can see now where we are now. I mean, we're, again, we're at war again with um, you know the the um, the sorcerers who call themselves pharmacists you know the pharmacy providers the pharmaceutical companies which are practicing pharmacia which is the greek word for sorcery and we're at war with them you know they're trying to uh once again uh pass laws banning all naturopathic remedies yes oh
4: yeah that happened in canada
0: no yeah. yeah. did they do it in canada
4: yes
1: hmm. not surprising yeah, not
7: surprising. I'll look up here. to Yahweh. Um homeopathic remedies are not banned here.
1: They're not, Ariel. Uh, Explain I to us what, what's I going on.
0: <laughs> so is it proposed, do you know?
7: Um they're proposing. That doesn't mean that's going anywhere.
0: Yeah, it's been proposed in the states too. And uh thank you for clarifying that, Ariel, because you live yeah. where you live in Ontario, correct?
7: I'm in Ontario. I buy homeopathics and I create my own homeopathics as
0: well. So Yeah, that's a problem for them too, because when you talk about homeopathic remedies and trying to ban them, I mean, how do you how do you ban apple cider apple cider vinegar? You know, that's <laughs> hard to do. And well, some other to... home remedies can be easily grown.
7: Yeah, you just have to go out into a field here and get them. Yeah. yeah.
2: You're gonna to have to ban apples.
0: Yeah, right. Right. I mean, I mean, here you go. Right. And so this is the kind of thing that's going on. But nonetheless, the pharmaceutical companies, many of whom are admitting to uh, being engaged really in notorious criminal acts, knowingly placing things in their in their products. And there's been people that have been killed for telling people what's in their products. And, uh, you know, it's really a horrendous industry. But it's, it is the idea of going and following behind this Asclepius, this serpent on a pole, and keeping it enshrined as, uh, you know, a god and engaged in idolatry. So it's very interesting. All right. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. And again, thank you, Maria Isabel, for giving us that passage. Okay, Catherine Wilma. Did you have something you wanted
8: to Hello, add? Shalom, brother. Shalom. Um, I just love the story of Moshe going into Joshua and Caleb because it just shows you how human Moshe was. And I certainly don't want to be a type of Moshe figure because I'd rather be a Caleb and a Joshua type figure because obviously when the 12 spies went in, 10 came back with a bad report. But Joshua and Caleb, they had a beautiful warlike spirit. They were conquerors and overcomers. No matter what face, then they still went ahead. And um, even though there were giants in the land, They were more than conquerors because of their attitudes. And it doesn't matter what was thrown at these two men. They still came back with a good report. So... um, Of course, they had a
0: different task before them, too, because, you know, Moshe Mm -hmm. did not want to do the task that Yah had called him to. Exactly. Why why are you calling me? I don't even speak well. Call my brother. He speaks well. I don't speak well. Why Mm -hmm. are you calling me? And mm-hmm. Yala said, I'm because I called you, I called you to mm-hmm. do the task. And equally mm-hmm. important to I me, mean, when you think about Moshe, you know, from the minute he was born and put into the reed basket and sent down the river,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, you know, I mean, his, you know, everything was in the hands of Yah, all of it. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he very easily could have been put in that reed basket and gone right on out into the Mediterranean. And that was the end of Moshe. Mm-hmm. That's not what happened, right? Something Mm. entirely different happened. And then for Moshe to be picked up by the pharaoh, who was a woman pharaoh at the time, and to be raised up as the general of all the armies of Egypt. And then, of course, you know, the kinds of, when the plagues came upon Egypt, he brought, you know, this huge house of people out into the wilderness. He didn't want to do any of that. He was telling, yeah, I don't want to do that. I don't want, I'm not the guy Mm. for it. I don't want to do it. And Yah told him, "Oh no, you are going to do it." And and if you recall, the mark of his authority was the rod in his hands that became a serpent. Mm. And so, yeah, I mean, Moses, you know, Moses uh, was a murderer like David was a murderer. like yeah. was a murderer. Uh, you know, Moses made mistakes. Moses had married a Cushite woman before he married a Midianite woman, and mm. Aharon and Miriam accused him of that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and uh, and and then what's the business about the angel of Yah wanting to kill Moshe because his son wasn't circumcised? You know, that story needs to have a lot more light put on it as to what all that was about. And um, so, uh, by the way, Joy, you're fine. Thank you. Your, your comment was OK. It's fine. Thank you for raising it. You're, you're just fine, sister. Everything's good. Uh, but. When you talk about uh, when you talk about Moshe's character, I mean he did make mistakes, and Aharon made mistakes, and when they usurped the authority of Yah to claim the uh, the glory of Yah for themselves, mm. Yah told them, "You shall not enter the Holy Land." Now we're missing another book um,
8: too. You see, you see, with them not Yah showed them the the blessing and the promise. But they were not they were not allowed to put foot on the promised land. I think it was because their mistake after mistake after mistake. I believe Yah's mercy followed them. I, I do believe they are or will be with us in heaven. But it was the next generation who got the blessings. Yeah, um, actually two generations,
0: two generations.
8: Before. Yeah, yeah.
0: And even yeah. then, uh, I mean, what are we talking about with the blessing? You know, uh, something to think about in that blessing is that here you had a singular tribe, Yasharel, but multiple tribes they're under. And they were formed under four banners, right? Mm-hmm. They, they would They would march under four banners. So you had the initial tribe, which was one. And then it was divided into four divisions. You had the lion, you had the eagle, you had the ox, you had the man. And interestingly enough, those are the same faces you see on the seraphim. Mm. Four faces of the seraphim. The ox, the eagle, the lion, and the man. And from those four camps, they're divided into the 12 tribes. Now, it's actually more than the 12 tribes because you had the tribe of Joseph, who was also with them, but not identified as Joseph, you had Ephraim mm. and Manasseh. So, some of the people that sojourned with Yasharel were Joseph. And this was the tribe that was born unto uh, Joseph and Asenath after Ephraim and Manasseh were born. And mm. so, another tribe sprung from them and also sojourned with them. And also, you had a second tribe of Judah in the tribe of Zarak which was under the house of Zimri. And Mm. so Levi did not get a land grant. So Mm. Ephraim would take the land grant of Joseph. Manasseh would take the land grant of Levi because Levi did not get a land grant. They Mm. instead became the priesthood. But nonetheless, when they came into the Holy Land, what did they do? And it's something very important for us to remember. They divided the land into discrete borders between the tribes and set boundaries which could not be moved between Mm. the tribes. Even though there was one house of Yasharel, they had discrete boundaries tribe to tribe and they divided the land by tribe independently. Now this is something that you have to think about for a successful nation to exist, a successful nation needs to make sure that there is division that is commensurate with the tribe. Now, the United States, when it was formed, it did divide into 12 colonies. The 13th in Rhode Island was added, but initially it was 12 colonies. And those 12 colonies were not reflective of 12 tribes per se, but rather 12 spiritual tribes. So uh, like for instance, in Penn's William Penn's Sylvania, Pennsylvania, they were practicing the doctrines of William Penn, who, you know, used to preach in the city of Wells. And it was amazing when we went to Wells, we saw this huge cathedral, massive cathedral with a massive choir, massive bishop's house, and on and on and on. They couldn't fill the cathedral. Okay, somebody is going off of it. I don't know who it is. It's not me. I'm not beeping.
4: Mm.
0: Uh, anyway, the the cathedral was would not be filled, but William Penn would preach from the second story of a hotel that was in downtown Wells, right next to it, and he'd have thirty five hundred people standing out in the in the uh, in the area there in the square as he mm. preached. Well. When the king saw that, he said, we need to get rid of William Penn. Yes. So they moved William Penn out and they gave him a land grant. Well, he, his view of scripture became known as the Quakers. The people that followed him were called the Quakers. But the people that followed uh, that followed uh, uh, William Bradford into uh, uh, Plymouth, into Massachusetts, these were called the Puritans. The puritans had a different view the puritans couldn't couldn't stand the quakers and so you mm-hmm. had even though they were all protestants but they you know they did not like each other and so it went from colony to colony to colony to colony representing a separate spiritual tribe if you will difference mm-hmm. the segregation of the country now you're going to see that in successful countries you have this idea of dividing oblasts. Now you yeah. mentioned this in, a, in a private message to me about this fellow Elliton who was from Lancashire, wanting to establish a second national fabric in uh, Northumberton, right now uh, Northumbria Am I read right about this He wanted yeah. to, he wanted to create so that you would have Scotland, Northumbria, Northumbria Wales, England, so that the northern half of what is now England would be a discrete political area. And, you know, going back to 900 AD and the and the Danish kings that were there. And of course, that idea of, you know, and I don't know if York would be the capital of that, probably York, uh, but, you know, you would see the idea of once again a discrete political faction there. Well, sometimes that's the correct way to go. And if we see a... Uh, if we see a group of people who can learn to understand that, then we can learn to live with one another. And, you know, it's very important to be able to live with one another by, but you know what they have, they have a saying out there, uh, strong fences make for good neighbors. And because when you have a strong boundary and you have a strong fence, well, then you know where the dividing line is. We can do our stuff up right on up to that inch and you can do your stuff right up to that inch. But a strong fence makes for a good neighbor. And so you can see, for instance, like for instance, if you don't mind my just taking a second to discuss Ukraine, Ukraine feels like the Ukrainian people feel like they have been bound up with Russian things forever. And of course, Russia, when it reached out to control all this land, which under the premises of the czars, that's what they did. They essentially Mm. gathered all the land where nobody was living under a single tutelage. But then the Russians would impose the Russian language on those areas. Even though you were free to speak your native language, you were Mm. required to learn the Russian language as well. This was the dominant paradigm of the USSR. Any SSR state they had to speak Russian. And many of the states hated the Russian language. They didn't want to speak Russian. And Ukraine was one of them. They didn't want to speak Russian. They hated the Russian Mm. language. Georgia was another. And so the instant that they broke free from Russia, the idea of learning the Russian language went the way of the wandering dub. They didn't want to learn it anymore. Well, then Ukraine took the position that native Russian speakers really had no place in Ukraine. Now, if that's the case, well, then you need to discreetly divide your country and put up fences between those places where people speak Russian as Mm. native Russian speakers and those people that don't. And having done such a thing like this, see, it's one thing to say, okay, we don't want any Russian speakers here. It's another thing to say, we want the land that belongs to the Russian speakers. However, that's a different issue altogether. See,
8: Mm. completely
0: different issue. And so this is part of the reason why if this had been, if this rationale had been, and now you can see it's very clear, the Ukrainians are willing to put up a half a million men, 500,000 men, to tell the Russians, we don't want your stuff in Ukraine. Okay? That's what they're willing to do. And so they're just, you know, blindly marching into machine guns is what they're doing. But the argument is being made we don't want your russian stuff in ukraine now a civilized way to do that would have been to say look we're ukraine we don't want the russian stuff here which means russia you need to come and collect your statues you need to come and get your stuff and take it out of here we're not going to keep it here anymore we're not going to destroy it but you need to come and pick it up and take it home because it's not going to remain here Even in Russia, they did that. When the Soviet Union fell, they they put up a stat uh, park of fallen statues, and they put Stalin over there in the park of fallen statues, and they poked his eyes out and put him in front of a fence of skulls. Right? Russia did that, so you can see that in this kind of ordinance. Okay, fine, but you have to be discreet about it, and you have to recognize if you're going to take that position then you cannot hold the lands that belong to Russian-speaking people. You have to segregate you have to, and you have to delineate and divide by land. Now, you can see this goes on in Canada, for instance, where you have French-speaking Quebec uh, as a province, and it is very clearly delineated between Quebec and Ontario. In Ontario, they speak dominantly English, and in Quebec, they speak dominantly French. And you have a pretty clear delineation. Now, by respecting each other's languages, they can continue to exist in one union. But we have issues that are emerging both in Texas, Florida, and in California, where you have dominant Spanish-speaking areas. And in the Spanish-speaking areas, should they be discreetly identified? Probably for the health of the area, it would be a good idea to discreetly identify it. But again, you have the idea that people want to control the land and they want to control the resources, like we saw with Sishon here in the Torah portion, wanting to take the land of the Moabites. And he does take the land of the Moabites and then is yeah. running around saying, we're, we're, you know, this is Sishon. And so we have the right to all of this and the right to all of that. Well, again, you, you see the greed of wanting to take land that belongs to someone else, and then when you do that, you impose your language on them. Mm. And this ultimately is going to result in war.
1: Mm.
0: So uh, anyway, yeah, that stuff on Elton was very interesting that he had done that and that uh, his wife ended up being involved in, in all those African investments. Anyway, I thank you for sending mm. it and thanks for your take on this. Appreciate it.
8: All right, then. Shalom.
0: Well, Okay, let's go to Live's iPhone.
9: Blessings, brother Pigeon. Oh, thank you. Um, thank you kindly. Um, I wanted to ask you if you could help me uh, with the with the land being red. And um, Uh, red soil um, contains clay, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's what it's comprised of. I grew up in Hawaii uh, as a baby, but the red soil has clay in it and it's prevalent there. And so I was then brought kind of in a Premonition to the fact that, you know, where it says that, you know, uh, we are the clay and we're subject to the, you know, the, the hand of the potter. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Um, then I got this premonition. Uh, that. um the potters obviously our maker, right? Yeah. And, and we were supposedly made from, you know, the dust of the earth, but it sounds like we could have been made from the clay of the earth.
0: Yeah. I mean, the distinction there in terms of the Hebrew is, you know, created versus formed and, uh, even though if they you know and again when we talk about the dust uh that phrasing is what's used there the dust but what what is the dust right and i think ultimately the illustration in that section is to say you know from from dust you were taken to dust you shall return now it could have been written from clay you were taken to clay you shall return but Most people don't return to clay. I mean, when their bodies exhaust, it becomes dust again, right? Uh, Even though, I mean, you know, I mean, I've got questions about that myself because people say, well, you'll be complete dust in, you know, two generations or three generations or whatever. And yet they find skeletons that are thousands of years old, right? Mm -hmm. How is it that a skeleton is preserved for all those years, right? If the dust we return. And uh, so anyway, I mean, it's uh, there's some real questions there, but I think Clay is a possibility. Yeah, where are you going with this?
9: Um, well, you know, the potter is the one that is, you know, not just made us from the beginning, but made us from the beginning of our birth. And yeah. he made us yeah. from the beginning of our existence, but then... You know, it's then it's our birth till uh, to allegedly, you know, you're supposed to return to the deaths of the earth. But when in fact, you know, the word live or live or life, uh, I don't think there's and I don't think in life there's death. Yeah. In other <laughs> words, when we when when cr- create, I don't even want to use the yawning more. It's so controversial. I'm trying to just use Abba myself, but when Abba, you know uh, uh, um, um, takes back the breath of life, almost like an almost like a grantor trust, you know, It's like he grants us the breath of life, but then he is the one that retracts the breath of life. And so uh, you know, if we were known, you know, before the heavens and the earth were made. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Before so, the foundations
0: of the earth, yeah.
9: So what form were we? You follow me? What form were we? And what form are we returning to? Everybody wants to know that, you know, believes in like, like heaven. You know, when we look at Isaiah, he ascended into the, into the heavens. I've actually ascended into the throne room myself. I have a great insight because of that. But so so, uh, when we get to that stage, when the breath of life will be taken from us, and 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 then uh, you know then our something happens to the rest of us, as far as we know, you know that's our bones and our and our body, and so uh, as you just said, you know your bones can last a gazillion years, you know so i guess the um the goal here is to understand the kingdom of heaven the kingdom from above we're we're, we're if we're going to be called out members then we're going to be called out of the world and we have to be called into something and to, we have to be called into the kingdom of of yah kingdom from above and so you know i'm trying to see you know what part of us uh, 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 the clay represents and what part of us you know the potter represents and what part of us that we were known before the heavens and the earth were created is part of us and so what is the end, you know, what is the end thing you know uh, that because uh, uh, it seems like it's possible we're getting up against the end thing to me right
0: now. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, you know, the thing is is that the there's many, many ideas surrounding what you're talking about. And okay, but uh, I want to start with first, the controversy you raised, and I want to show you this real quickly. Okay, great. That uh, here in these we can see. I'm going to look at just uh, uh, at one example here. We can look at more, but we and we'll find them here in this particular psalm. Okay, but this is Psalm 118, and here you can see the word found here is Ya, Yod Hey. And this is H thirty fifty, and H thirty fifty says this is contracted for H thirty sixty eight, which is Yahweh, and they say it's pronounced Job, ja, but we know there's no J in Hebrew, and so they want to say Job, ja, and I mean that is of course if you if you spoke that in German you'd know it's Yah, ja, ja. mm-hmm. Yah, it with names ending in Yah, ja, Yah, ja, Yah. Ja. And I love that. I love that. So here so here we see David using Yah here. Now we also see the Yahwa here. And
9: and in what and in what context? This is in a psalm. Okay. And so it's a story about something?
0: It's a song praising Yah. Okay, Okay. Uh, praise. Got it. Got it. And and so this goes on to include the name Yah in here in actually many, many places in this particular, in this particular psalm. Here's another one here, Yah. And so I just wanted to show you that in 45 places in scripture, we do see the name Yah. It's not a contracted slang term that somebody's using inappropriately. It's a term that was used by Isaiah, it was used by Ezekiel, it was used by David uh, in a respectful way sense so now when you talk about the idea of the body the human body being a temporal or carnal place as my friend ricky would say it's a testing place not a resting place mm-hmm. so we're called into this body for a time and it just i kind of liken it to being in the womb you know when you're a baby in the womb you know, some babies are very fearful about leaving the womb they don't want to come out it's like I don't know what's out there. This womb is comfortable. It's safe. I'm I'm warm. You know I'm being fed. Why would I want to go someplace else? Other babies can't wait to get out there. You know, but I think we're in kind of it's similar that that we're in this kind of womb, if you will, of for a lifespan, and it's a testing place. Are we going to make an election in a time when we cannot see uh, to love our Creator or not? And I think that's what it comes down to. That's what the carnality comes down to.
9: But in yeah. actuality, mean, we're chosen. chosen. We're chosen. That's we don't correct. make an election. The father makes the election.
0: Yeah, the father made the election before we were actually born. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so, yeah. So, but at any rate, nonetheless, here we are. We're in the flesh. So, I mean, do we have the answers for all of that? Of course not. We don't. Uh, and, uh, on so-
9: thursday night on thursday night you made a statement um about uh you know the name and you you had made a, a statement that uh uh the jews or whoever that uh group we want to call them uh you know it was they they never said the name and so it's like I had this really weird thing because I've actually seen the kingdom several times. And every time there is no name for the father. He doesn't use the name when he speaks to you. And so I was wondering if anybody in the audience has actually had Yah speak to him and say, use his name. not from Not from reconstructed, reconstituted copies of books from thousands of years ago, but currently.
0: Well, I mean that's one form of testimony. Okay, and you know the difficulty with that kind of testimony is that okay we can listen to that kind of testimony, but it is subjective testimony, and the, you know w- you know we rely you know, to a great extent, not whole wholeheartedly. In other words, we also have the unction of the ruach hakodesh in our life, um, but we're called to rely on Scripture. You know, sola scriptura, we're guided by the word. And we're guided by the word because that's what we're guided by. Without the word, you know, uh, mankind got lost and was completely destroyed without the word before the time of Noah. And the fit to give us the written word. And even though the written word has its problems, uh, nonetheless, we have the written word. And the written word tells us repeatedly what his name is. Repeatedly. Moshe says it. Isaiah says it Jeremiah says it Ezekiel says it David says it Yahshua says it and why didn't the,
9: why didn't didn't the, the you know the Hebrew uh, uh, or not I, I don't even know if they're Hebrew they might have just been Jewish but why not why did the Jews not use
0: the name? I mean, we're not, well, don't we give some
9: credence to
1: that?
0: Spiritually, it was taken away from them, number one. And number two, you have to, you got to keep in mind, I mean, I can go into it. Well, let's take the time and to go into it here. The, you know, when you talk about being Jewish, there's three ways you can be Yahudi. You can be a Yahudi. Three uh-huh. ways. One is you can be a citizen of the kingdom of Yehud. Okay, we can rule that one out because the kingdom of Yehud was destroyed in 586 BC and was never recreated. Okay. The other way you can be Yehudi is to be of a genetic strain related to Yehuda or you can be of the Jewish religion. So those are the choices. You can either be Mm. genetically or you can be Yehudi by religious choice. -hmm. And because there is no citizen of the kingdom of Yehud. Now, the difficulty. When you talk about what happened when the when the second temple was built, the second temple was built and was basically abandoned because the second temple did not have any of the trappings of the first temple. It didn't have the Ark of the Covenant. And I'm not even sure it had the presence of Yah. So from the time of about 417 BC when it was finally reconstructed until we finally get to the Maccabees at about 165 BC, the second temple laid in ruin. I mean, there wasn't much going on there. When the Greeks finally took it under Alexander the Great, they put Greek trappings in that temple and turned the outer court into a gymnasium and they put a Jupiter inside the temple and they made it Greek. And uh, so even though there is discussion that there was some priesthood going on there, there wasn't much. And so when you get to Yehuda Maccabee, Yehuda Maccabee says, well, look, we're not going to do the Greek thing. We're going to do this thing that is associated with the scripture. But they didn't have a lot of scripture at that time. They had what Ezra had recreated the extent that they could find it. And so they were trying to rebuild uh, the Torah without having the full manuscripts of the Torah to do it with. And, and what happened to those? Well, one of them is called the Samaritan Pentateuch, and the Samaritan Pentateuch, you know, allegedly was retained in the Northern Kingdom uh, throughout this whole period of time. Now, I don't know that as a certainty, uh, but but when you talk about original scrolls, there are no original scrolls anywhere. And so the oldest thing we have is the Dead Sea Scrolls, and they were a copy that were made by... The scribes at the time in order to ensure that there was a lasting lineage of the word and so at any rate the maccabees came in but the maccabees were not jewish the maccabees were were hasmonean by their own confession and uh has and hasmonea had to do with uh with the god that they worshipped and the and they were from the land of hyrcania which we now call armenia but at that time was called Hyrcania. Hyrcania, And so the Maccabees were actually of the tribe of Makkah, who was the 12th son of Nahor, the brother of Abraham. So mm-hmm. they were not of the house of Yasharel and they were not in the blessings of Abraham. They were in a competing tribe, the Maccabees. And so once again, you have this kind of genetic longing to be part of the family. And so the Maccabees elected to abandon Greek thinking and to instead adopt the thinking of scripture. When they did, they began to build a kingdom and they tried to reinstate the temple, to liberate the temple and to rebuild the Torah upon it.
9: And now this is the common day Jew?
0: Well, um, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get to it. So what happened is this. So you have Judas Maccabeus who does the wars, he dies, his brother Shimon takes over and Shimon becomes a very arrogant tyrant, uh, wearing purple, he's in bed with Rome and he criminalizes wearing the color purple, only he can wear it. And he has his gold Roman belt from Rome showing his allegiance to Rome. And when he died, his son who called himself John Hyrcanus, John Hyrcanus, uh, John Hyrcanus was openly uh, identifying from where he was from, Hyrcania. And he would construct the Hasmonean kingdom at the point of a sword. And so he caused all of the house of Esau and the house of Edom to convert to Judaism at the point of the sword. Mandatory circumcision. It's mandatory circumcision. And he forced Judaism on all of the Edomites living in the Holy Land at that time and on the whole of the house of Esau. And so from about 165 BC forward, most of the people that were in the religious Judaism, the religion of Judaism were uh forced converts by John Hyrcanus mm. now, there were some there were some uh there were some of the original tribes, but they were very few and far between. you mean from and, David? Uh, yeah, there were some from David and from the line yeah from the line that had come back from Babylon. There were, all, there were only 45,000 people that came back from Babylon. Yeah. And so some of them were still living there. They were few and far between. They were pretty well scattered, but there were some true Levites. There were some true Jews, but they were very few. And most of them were exile. Like they were, they were children of the exile Kings. That is the children that, of, you know, that had stemmed in the line of David that were in Babylon. They were the children of the exile are kings that were still in the land. But you have to remember that the that the Maccabees actually worshipped a foreign god. They worshipped uh, in the in the Greek it's called Asmodeus. He's identified in the book of Tobit asmodeus, and Asmodeus was a 5 five-headed, five-headed god that killed uh, the seven husbands of Tobit's eventual wife. You know, she's the one that married a guy. He died, married his brother. He died, married his brother. He died, married his brother. He died. That litany that's given to us in the Gospels is taken right out of the book of Tobit. And the unfortunate thing is, and this is a, a secret that's not told, but the it is in Scripture. I'll have to point it out to you. I'm going to do a blog on it and probably a video on it. But the, the demon... Asmodeus was called in Hebrew, Ashem Dai, Dai meaning demon, Ashem the demon. And so, when the Jews began to recreate their religion under these people who were not Jewish at all, but were rather uh, Asmo- Asmonians, they enemies. required they required Jews to worship Ha Ashem. And not Yahweh. And you they say, t- uh, is this that, was John. Is that, Tal- is
9: that the is that the Tal- Talmud Talmud uh, rabbis and that's who run the yes. show?
0: Yes, this was these Talmudic rabbis were the whole idea of a rabbi doesn't exist in the Old Testament. Sure, it was created. It was created by by the practitioners of Judaism that were founded by Hillel the Elder and Samai. And these two rabbis began to create, wrote down the oral law, which was their opinion about what the law was. And as they began to write down the oral law, they enforced. Is that the Mishnah? The yeah, that's the Mishnah. Yeah. OK. And so you get But you have to remember that the initial Talmud is called the Yerushalmi Talmud.
10: Mm.
0: And that that preceded the Babylonian Talmud by 350 years so the, the Yahushalmi Talmud, the Mishnah, and the Gemara. The Gemara is rabbinical opinion. The Mishnah is the writing down of the oral law. And this is where they determined you could no longer use the word, you use the name Yahweh, but you had to use the name ha HaShem. And it is a name. They try to tell you it's not, or it just means the name. No, it it's more than just the name. Yeah, I made the mistake
9: for years. I'm so thankful for you helping me and educate me on that. I just can't tell you how much I appreciate it.
0: Well, uh, thank you. Thank you for asking. I mean, it's a very dangerous spot for me to even be talking about this and telling you the truth of all this. Yeah. Um, uh, Because, of course, you know, in Judaism, they just as soon kill me for speaking it.
9: Well, well, the the Chabad currently they have the panel of 70 rabbis right and and they call themselves the Sahedrin or whatever it is mm-hmm. now is this Sanhever. is this, a, a, this is this a you know a carry forward of this these talmudic uh, rabbis and and and, and in the that what they, is that, what that is
0: exactly wow
9: that really helps me understand the whole thing yeah
0: because i mean those this is guys where... are just wicked well, you know, in my opinion, there are, you know, I don't know each and every one of them personally, uh, but they have done some, some, they've done some wicked things. And, did, uh, they, so, did
9: they develop the Noahide Law?
0: No, the Noahide Laws were developed by Ma- Maimonides. Now, I just oh. did a teaching on this on Sephir Academy. We just looked at this in um, ancient days. We came upon the issue of the Noahide Laws. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And we did. I did an in-depth teaching on this. And the, the Noahide laws were developed by Maimonides. They were deduced by Maimonides. In his opinion, these were the seven laws that applied to the Goyim. Yes. And they only applied to the Goyim when the Goyim are living under Jewish rule. That's according to Maimonides. But nonetheless, Chabad Lubavitch, under the leadership of hyper-racist Uh, Menachem Schneerson Mm -hmm. uh, required the whole world to proclaim these as to be the fundamental moral code for all of mankind. Not the 10 Devarim that were given by Yah, but the Mm -hmm. seven commands given by a rabbi. The seven commands given by a rabbi become the moral foundation of the world, which has been adopted in a a resolution at the U.S. Congress uh, that uh, proclaimed it to be the moral foundation of the world well, that's absolutely and categorically false. And it's something that Maimonides made up. It's rabbinical code. It doesn't exist in scripture. And it. Uh, and as a result, you can see the whole idea of imposing a rabbi over the whole of the earth. And Schneerson, who said that the Goyim were, were put on earth only to serve the Jews, that a Jew has two souls from heaven and a Goyim has three souls from Satan, uh, these are the kinds of things that he said, and he was a hyper-racist, and uh, and he's the one who they were celebrating in enacting a an education and, and day. And when
9: you say hyper-racist, okay. you mean of just two classes of people, the Jews and the Goyim?
0: Right. There were two okay. classes of people, the Jews who had two souls from heaven, mm-hmm. and the Goyim who had three souls from hell. Mm. Yeah, Those were his views. And wow. many other views that are even more, more uh, hyper-racist than that. And uh, so uh, the Noahide laws, yeah, that, that springs out of Talmudism. And the Talmud, quite frankly, between us, is an extremely wicked document. The Talmud provides for 18 different sexual orientations. The Talmud contradicts the Torah in many many places, the Talmud provides that it's okay for a Levite priest to marry a three-year-old. The Talmud specifies that having sex with a child is no big deal; it's just like poking them in the eye. They won't for, they won't remember it. And uh, these are the kinds of things that're written in the Talmud. And as wicked as the Quran may be, the Talmud exceeds it by a long shot.
9: It sounds like the Talmud is an is an idol.
0: Well, I, mean, it, it is, I have four I doubt,
9: volumes it, of it in my library. I'm going to get rid of them.
0: Well, it, it, you know, the thing is, you don't need to get rid of the books. I mean, I have a Quran. I, I don't appreciate the Quran. I don't follow it, but that doesn't mean I get rid of it. You know, the thing is with the Talmud is that the Talmud is rabbinical opinion on the Tanakh. And the Talmud has many things that just, I mean, there's many, many passages of wickedness inside the Talmud. And some passages. In all fairness, there's very few rabbis that will defend 100% of the Talmud. Very few, like a couple worldwide. And so, when we talk about when we talk about the Talmud in general, uh, is it idolatry? Yeah, I think it is idolatry because when you're going to lift up a rabbi and you lift up tradition, then you lift up something at the expense of the truth. Now, I just want to say this so that we know, tradition is the enemy of truth and faith or fear is the enemy of faith. Tradition is the enemy of truth and fear is the enemy of faith, okay? All right,
3: Randall, let's go to you, brother. How are you, Randall? Hey, brother Stephen, how you doing? Hey, very good. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, recovering. I'm glad um, to hear you're recovering. It's good to hear. I you. haven't grown my beard back out Yeah, My dad threatened to kick me out of the house if I did that. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, yeah. I, I told him, I said, well, you better kick it then. I'm, I'm growing it back. Um... <laughs> This is something that uh, I've, I've been thinking about for quite a while and, and, and you may or may not have answered it and I don't even know if there is an answer to it, but um, why would Yah have Moshe, Moshe create any kind of image and in his point, he created an idol for them to look up to for salvation from you know from being bit by the snakes. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question, Randall. I mean, Why would he tell Moshe
0: to put a seraph on a banner, right? Why would he do that? And that then that they would have life. Well, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that a lot of the reason they had serpents surrounding them is the fact that they wouldn't stop complaining. No, you don't, you took us out here. You know, how many times did they say you took us out here of the wilderness to die? And here we are again, we're out in the wilderness. And we're going to die. We don't have any water. We don't have any food. I mean, look, I don't blame them for complaining. I suppose. Yah did because he miraculously provided for them, but they didn't, they didn't trust in his miracles.
3: He was looking for their faith. I know. Yeah. And so a lot of it is look
0: up, look up, right? Look up to this banner. Now, there are things given, you know, you know, give us a sign, right? Give us a sign that this is happening. Give us a sign that that's happening. And A lot of this is what's being given. He gives us a sign. And in this case, we lift up a banner. There were banners lifted up over Israel, right? He tells them, put up a banner in front of the, in the four groupings of the tribes, and each tribe put up a banner. And so the tribes were putting up banners. So putting up a banner is one thing. Putting up a serpent on a pole is another
3: Mhm. Right. I can see them and. putting up banners to identify the camp that they were in, but that wasn't. They weren't looking up to that banner to say, "Heal me" or "or save me," whereas you know, even though he gave he he Moses kind of I guess didn't understand the instruction, um, for them to look up for for the salvation, and I, I just like that just kind of goes against. The Torah. Well, it's not, I don't
0: think it's that he didn't understand the instruction. Remember that Moses' authority was in a staff that became a serpent. Remember this? Yeah. All of his authority was housed in a staff that became a serpent. And so now he puts a serpent up on a pole, you know, to, to show his authority. And again, I think you have a place where Moshe usurped the authority of Yah. Mm -hmm. to proclaim his authority and he did so by putting his serpent on a pole look at this and this will heal you right Mm -hmm. and uh whereas what he was called to put the image of a seraph on a banner and if he had done that i think uh i think we would have something much more uh, serious going on because the image of the seraph is designed to inspire scientific inquiry it's designed to inspire scientific inquiry. And that didn't happen. Instead, people just looked up to the serpent and then were healed. And they weren't really healed, they were just healed of the snake bite, right? And right. so it's it's really quite something, it's a very interesting um, parable, if you will, or metaphor. For what we see with with modern medicine, you know, you go in for a particular diagnosis on a particular illness to get a particular antibiotic to give you a particular cure for a particular thing. It's not a general, overall, holistic wellness, but no. rather, uh, you know, a particular dealing with a particular symptom, right? And I think we see that in this in this snake, right? But it is a good question. Why would Yah tell him to do it? But Yah told him to make a menorah, you know. Yah told him to make a, a tabernacle of meeting. Yah told, told him to make an Ark of the Covenant. Those very easy, easily could have been engraved
3: idols, but they weren't because Yah had told them to do it. Yeah, it's one of the many unanswered questions that,
0: you know, yeah, makes you think. Yeah, they make you go, hmm, yeah, very good point, Randall. Thank you, thank you for that, brother. And blessings to you. Thanks, I appreciate it. Okay, let's go to Ezra in in Malaysia before it gets any later for him. Ezra, how are you? Have you got something for us here? I'm not hearing you. I'm not hearing you and you're not muted.
5: From Malaysia, <laughs> I I there you go. Edom Edom. I've been inside Petra and there's a Edom Hotel. Red sandstone everywhere and uh potters, pots are everywhere because the pots keep the water cool. And I heard uh- recently they flood through uh, Petra, where the wadi was flooded, <laughs> and they have water supply through through, through Edom, uh, Petra. Yeah. So I think that the second uh, exodus, uh, the place best suited for uh, wonderful fencing security is the city of Petra, surrounded by high hills and <laughs> steep mountainous slopes. Uh, and also just one entrance in inside and out. A wonderful place. And it's red. It's a... a, a is the color of Adam, Edom.
0: Yeah, yeah, red earth, yeah, Adama, right? Red earth, Adama.
5: red sandstone.
0: Well, I no, believe Ezra.
5: that the restoration of all things is coming soon because lift up your head, look up for your redemption draws nigh. Yeah, <laughs> that amen. we will be uh, translated to Petra uh, by the holy angels because the angels will gather people from the four corners of the earth to a safe place, Um, transported to a safe place of refuge. The best refuge is inside Petra, but I heard that (laughs) might be just uh, sprawling over to Bosra, the surrounding plains, and the food can be uh, sourced out because he will rain back the manna and the quails will come for us. because it's the restoration of all things, I believe, uh, Acts chapter 3, verse 21, this Savior, this Messiah, Yeshua, Yahushua, Yahushua, Yahusha, uh, is taken up back to heaven, and he cannot return, until the restoration of all things, as proclaimed by every holy prophet, so um, the restoration of all things, uh, and the best restoration is your Sefer Bible, restoring the names, the sacred names, even though there's a death, death penalty uh, uh, that the, the rabbis have <laughs> has, uh, cooked up <laughs> in order to kill the, the Messiah, we are not afraid of the death penalty because we have been crucified with Messiah. No longer we live, but Messiah lives in us. And the life we now live, we live by the faith of the son of Yahuwah. <laughs> who loved us and gave himself for us. So we live by faith and by faith, we can be translated like the um, uh, evangelist Philip to go to a secure place. Because uh, if we seek to keep his Torah, we will be counted worthy to escape all these things and to stand before the son of man, king of glory for the well done now good and faithful servant. We believe those uh, Torah observant folks will be counted worthy to be translated to Petra as the remnant. But the rest would have to go through great tribulation and be martyred as tribulation saints. That's my hope for the uh, second exodus. And it's confirmed by Adam Fink because I I listened to Adam the restoring the, the hope yeah. That those who are Torah observant will be counted worthy to escape <laughs> to a safe place, <laughs> not raptured yeah, yeah. to heaven.
0: Well, but... thank you, so, thank you so much for this. Thank you Hello. so much for your word. Thank you so much for your word today, Ezra. Thank you. That's okay. greatly, greatly appreciated, brother. Thank you.
5: Just an encouragement. Bl- Look, live up our heads. Look up for our redemption is drawing near.
0: Amen. Amen. Soon. All right. Well, thank you. Okay. Well, I'm going to take a a little bit of time here to go back in and read the Haftarah. And I hope you guys will stay with me through this. Let's go back in and read the Haftarah. Okay. So in the Haftarah, Shofetim, judges, we're going to read this curious story of Yiftach. Now, this is a very interesting story. And this is the kind of story that... When we get to the story, the end of the story really breaks my heart, but it's left out of the Haftarah because they don't want you to hear the rest of the story. But I'm I'm going to mention it when we get there, but let's take it from here. Now, Yiftach, the Giladi, was a mighty man of valor, and he was the son of a harlot. Well, here we go, right? And Gilad begat Yiftach, and Gilad's woman bore him sons, and his woman's sons grew up And they thrust out Yiftak and said unto him, you shall not inherit in our father's house, for you are the son of a strange woman. Then Yiftak fled from his brethren and dwelt in the land of Tov. And there were gathered vain men to Yiftak and went out with him. So Yiftak becomes kind of a rogue, you know, castaway orphan. Uh, You know, you can imagine what his attitude is like at this point. And it came to pass in process of time that the children of Amman made war against Yasharel. And it was so that when the children of Amman made war against Yasharel, the elders of Gilad went to fetch Yiftak out of the land of Tov. And they said unto Yiftak, come and be our captain, that we might fight with the children of Ammon. And Yiftak said unto the elders of Gilad, do not ye hate me? Did you not expel me out of my father's house? Why are you come to me now when you're in distress? And the elders of Gilad said unto Yiftak, Therefore we turn again to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the children of Amman, and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilad. And Yiftak said unto the elders of Gilad, If ye bring me home again to fight against the children of Amman, and Yahweh deliver them before me, shall I be your head? And the elders of Gilad said to Yiftak, Yahweh be witness between us if we do not do so according to your words. Then Yiftak went with the elders of Gilad, and the people made him head and captor over them, captain over them. And Yiftak uttered all his words before Yahweh in Mitzpah. And Yiftak sent messengers unto the king of the children of Amman, saying, what have you to do with me that you are come against me to fight in my land? And the king of the children of Amman answered unto the messengers of Yiftach, Because Yasharel took away my land when they came up out of Mizraim from Arnon even unto Yabak and unto the Yardan. Now therefore, restore those lands again peaceably, give them back. And Yiftak sent messengers again unto the king of the children of Amman and said, Unto him. Thus says Yiftach Yasharel took not away the land of Moab, nor the land of the children of Ammon. But when Yasherel came up from Mitzrayim and walked through the wilderness unto the Red Sea and came to Kadesh, then Yasharel sent messengers unto the king of Edom, saying, Let me, I pray you, pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not hearken thereto. And in a like manner they sent to the king of Moab, but he would not consent. And Yasharel abode in Kadesh. Then they went along through the wilderness and compassed the land of Edom and the land of Moab. And came by the east side of the land of Moab and pitched on the other side of Arnon. But came not within the border of Moab. For Arnon was the border of Moab. And Yasharel sent messengers unto Sishon, the king of the Amorim, the king of the Eshbon. And Yasharel said unto him, let us pass, we pray you. Through your land unto my place. But Sishon trusted not Yasharel to pass through his coast. But Sishon gathered all his people together and pitched in Yahats and fought against Yasharel. And Yahweh Elohai of Yasharel delivered Sishon and all his people into the hand of Yasharel, and they smote him. So Yasharel possessed at all the land of the Emareem, the inhabitants of that country, and they possessed at all the coast of the Emerim. From Arnon even to Yabach, and from the wilderness even unto the Yardan. So now Yahweh Elohai of Yasharel has dispossessed the Emirim from before his people Yasharel. And should you possess it? Will not you possess that which Chemosh your Elohim gives you to possess? So whomsoever Yahweh Elohenu shall drive out from before us, them we will possess. And now, are you anything better than Balak, the son of Sipor, the king of Moab? Did he ever strive against Yasharel or did he ever fight against them? While Yasharel dwelt in Heshbon and in her towns and in Arorair and her towns and in all the cities to be along the coast of Arnon, 300 years, 300 years, right? Why therefore did he not recover them with that time? Wherefore, I have not sinned against you, but you do me wrong to war against me. Yahweh, the judge, be judged this day between the children of Yasharel and the children of Amman. Albeit, the king of the children of Amman hearken not unto the words of Yiftach, which he sent him. Then the Ruach Yahweh came upon Yiftach. And he passed over Gilad and Manasseh, And passed over Mitzvah of Gilad. And from Mitzpah of Gilad, he passed over unto the children of Amman. And Yiftach vowed a vow unto Yahweh and said, If you shall, without fail, deliver the children of Amman into my hands, then it shall be that whatsoever comes forth of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the children of Amman, shall surely be Yahweh's, and I will offer it up for an ascending smoke offering." So Yiftak passed over under the children of Amman to fight against them, and Yahweh delivered them into his hands, and he smote them from Auror, and even till you come unto Minit, even 20 cities, and unto Abel-Karamim, and with a very great slaughter. Thus the children of Amman were subdued before the children of Yasharel. Now, of course, this portion goes on to say that Yiftak went home and his beloved daughter, the Yakida came out the door, and he ended up sacrificing her, which is a horrific story. Yah never required a human sacrifice of anyone. This was Yiftak's idea. Yah did require him to live up to his oath, but it was Yiftak's idea, not Yahweh's idea, to sacrifice a human being. And it's also interesting that you can see that there is a claim made here. So the king of Amman comes to Yiftak and says, we want our land back. But, you know, Yiftak could have said, well, look, take it up with Sishon. He's the one that took your land, not us. Take it up with him. But that's not what was said. He did not say, take it up with Sishon. He said, look, to the extent that... Uh, that you lost your land, that was in the hands of Yahweh. And we could say, I can tell you, go take it up with Sishon, but we conquered Sishon, and we conquered Sishon because Yah did it, and because Yah did it, you've got no claim, and if you had a claim, why didn't you raise it 300 years ago? We've been on this land for 300 years. So the truth is, it's naked aggression on the part of Oman to come in and take this land, and we're just not going to let you do it, Okay very good story, and you can see how the son of a harlot, this reject, Yiftak, would turn out, because he was rejected, and this is something else that I think is a very good lesson to learn, because he was rejected by all men, because he was cast out by all men, because he was denied by all men, he built his own life, and he built his own life in a way that would allow him to sustain himself, and the skill set he possessed, was so strong and so powerful that the other ones who were dependent upon their family members to keep their survival going recognized that he was the one who had the skill set to lead and to secure victory for them in battle because he had fought a war against his own people, being rejected by his own kind over and over and over again, that built the strength of his conviction and his ability. To be able to do what he did. Okay. So we'll finish here with the Bessarah in Matthew 21 7. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, or were come to Beit Pag, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent yahusha to Talmudim, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, you shall say, Adonai has need of them. And straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king comes unto you meek, sitting upon an ass and a colt the full of an ass. And the Talmudim went and did as Yahusha commanded them and brought the ass and the colt and put them in their clothes. And they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches from the trees and straw them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Yah, Hushanah to the son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of Yah, Hushanah in the highest. And when he was come to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Yahusha, the prophet of Nazareth of Galil. Now, when you look at this, look, we often see it written in the English. Hosanna in the highest, right? But it's not because this was, prayed, this, this Husha, so, technically, the word is Husha. New, Husha knew, okay? Now, you know, again, I get people arguing with me all the time. Oh, like I had a guy just jump down my throat. Oh, there's nobody named Yahusha anywhere in, in Scripture. Well, that's really, really unfair, you know, because obviously there is, right? Now, <coughs> I'm going to show you here in just one second here. Let me, let me stop to share. Okay. And I'm going to share here in Esord. Now, in Esord, we're looking at the book of what's called Hosea but we call it Husha, okay? And the reason we call it Husha is because it's named after this prophet who is identified right here in the first verse, Hosea 1-1, right? And in the Greek, they call his name Hosea, but here you can see his name is Husha. Now, We're gonna get, here we get a Masoretic interpretation, Hosea, Hosea, and of course this is determined by adding vowel points that create a vowel that otherwise doesn't exist. So what we can see is, when we look at this, we see this spelling. The spelling we see here is now this is the vowel a, uh, and this is the vowel oo so who shut. Now the Masoret's going to drop in a bunch of vowel sounds here. Oh, let's put some. Let's put some uh, a little bit of this here, and we'll put some of this here, and then all of a sudden this has a vowel to it. Well, nonsense. It doesn't exist. So when you take out the Masoretic cookie crumbs, the nikudot, you see the name Husha. Now this was the original name of Joshua, Husha, but Moshe said you will no longer be called Husha you will be called Yahusha. And he would simply put the Yod here, and this would be Yahusha. Okay, all right, outstanding. All right, now let's see if we can we can dial up the, we can actually dial up the, the Husha part. Let's see if we can get it, come on. You can
1: bring it up, let's go. Okay, yeah, hold on. Yeah, here it comes, okay. No,
0: Husha. What does Husha mean? Deliverer. The name of five Israelites. Okay? But it comes from this one, this word here. Yasha. Okay? Let me see if I can get that up higher where we can see it. Yasha, a primitive root, properly to be open, wide, or free, to be safe, to be free, avenging, defending, delivering, help, preserving, rescuing, to be safe, to have salvation, okay? So yasha means here to save, to avenge, to defend, to deliver, to help to preserve, to rescue, to bring salvation. You see? This is why the name Husha was used and not Yeshua. It was Husha. And so when we see here in the New Testament, let's go back into that, into our, into our, into our gospel passage, we're seeing here that what is being said is Yahusha Na, right? Husha Na, or Husha Nu. And so what this means is, deliver us, redeem us, save us, rescue us, avenge us, okay? Mm-hmm. Blessed is he that comes in the name of Yahusha Nu, Okay? Who is this? And the multiple said, this is Yahusha, Yah's savior, Yah's defender, Yah's avenger, Yah's helper, the prophet from Galilee. And Yahusha went into the temple of Elohim and cast out all of them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of a prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. Now, one of the things about this is he's saying, this is a house of prayer, not a house of animal sacrifice, but a house of prayer. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple saying who shall new to this, to the Ben David, they were sorely displeased. And they said unto him, hear you what they say. And Yahusha said unto them, "Yea, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings you have perfected praise. And he left them and went out into the city of Bethany and lodged there. Okay. So that concludes our reading and discussion for the day. And, uh, Ezra, did you, oh I, think, oh, I think everybody's done here. OK, so with that, guys, I want to thank everybody for being here today, today, Shabbat. If you have any other questions or comments, now is a good time to do it. Let's do this instead. There Find we a,
4: go. I had to raise a hand.
0: <laughs> yeah, hi, Elizabeth. Go, hey. What's up?
4: Um. Hi. Um, somebody earlier at the very beginning um, posted a question about the digital currency. And I was wondering if you could take a few minutes and speak on that. Sure. What, you, the, what you may know, because I don't know anything.
0: Okay, well, digital currency is actually with us and has been with us for quite a while. The uh, the The trading that goes on between banks doesn't include any transfer of cash at all. It's all done on a computer and they just hit enter and numbers transfer from place to place. There's no cash that's going anywhere. It's all a digital accounting system. That's what the SWIFT system is, that's what BRICS is. It's all a digital accounting system. Now, the whole world is going into digital currency. The question for us is, when does this become the mark of the beast? Or when does it become a tool of the beast? Now this is all going in that direction very quickly, but the real crux of the problem is not the currency, but it is rather the social credit system and it is rather the mark. So if you look at Revelation, it doesn't say that those who use digital currency will be cursed. It says those who take the mark of the beast shall be cursed. And the mark of the beast will be imposed that unless you have the mark, you cannot buy or sell without it. So a digital currency does not necessarily represent a problem. It represents a problem for the United States, but I mean, essentially what they're doing is when they're trying to call it a digital currency is they're trying to streamline what is currently a digital world. I mean, most of us use bank cards when we do any transaction anymore, you know? And so that is a form of digital currency. You're not changing any cash anywhere. They just want to uh, uh, minimalize it, streamline it, make it happen through facial recognition software, make it work through your cell phone, make it work through VR codes, on and on and on it goes, the list goes. The real question for those in the faith community is the mark of the beast. That's the question, not the digital currency. It's the mark of the beast. And when you get to a point where you're told that you either have this or you cannot buy or sell, then you will know that you've arrived at the mark. Now, I personally believe that that is a biometric mark that is within the body, and you know they're getting ready to launch yet another salvo. The WHO is getting ready to launch another pandemic and another vaccine and another you know thing that's going to be associated with it. And all of that is to mark to chip humanity. And I think this is what happened in the first vaccine is that people were chipped. And I think we're going to be chipped again in the next round. And anybody who didn't get chipped in the first round is going to get chipped in the next round. Because they want you chipped like an animal. And unless you're chipped, you will not be able to buy or sell. And so there are people who said, well, I can still buy or sell. Therefore, that must not be the mark. Well, the chip isn't going away once it's in you. They just haven't gotten around to the command yet. You've gotten the mark, you just haven't gotten the command. So, uh, you know, and to anybody who's been in that situation and you have repentance, you know, think of NAC, hydroxychloroquine, and ivermectin. Those things will help you expunge the chip that's in your body. But in the meantime, this is what we have to look to. We have to look to the chipping. So do not worry about the currency per se. Worry about the mark. Okay? Does that answer your question? You're muted there, Elizabeth. Tap your space bar there so I can hear you.
4: Sorry. Yeah. Um. I just saw the question earlier, and I thought, yeah, that that's actually something a lot of us would probably like to hear about. Um, so, thank you.
0: You okay. bet. Yeah. Okay. So let's go to Philip. Philip, did you have a question there?
11: Yes, sir. I uh was. Listening on Thursday and then kind of thinking about this morning, um, when we talk about the miraculous nature of the ova put into Sarah, could this be used to explain the miraculous capabilities spoken in Jasher of the sons of Yasharel? her grandson. Yeah, I think that's
0: very possible. That's very possible because you have something... I mean, you know, one person wrote me about the ovum and said, What if it's just a regular ovum? I mean, it could have been, but it was an ovum that was free of any of the sin of the epigenetic sin that had preceded it. But it's also possible that it was a supernatural, that it had supernatural capability, and that uh, this is what we see in Jasher. We see a group of people that were just really, you know, talented beyond belief. Now, it's possible, uh, that. Um, it's very possible that, you know, Jasher was exaggerating. You know, when you talk about somebody who ran a little bit faster than everybody else, well, he was the fastest person I've ever seen. He ran like the wind. He did this, that, you know. And so you, you kind of get this exaggeration going on. But it's also possible that they had skills and size and, and, and athletic capability that was just, I mean, like, for instance, did you ever see uh, Usain Bolt run in the Olympics? I don't know if you ever saw him. I think that was his name. Usain Bolt. I think he was out of Jamaica. I watched him run, and it was the most phenomenal thing I'd ever seen. I mean, I just, I never, I mean, I've seen a lot of runners, but that talent that he had, and he was breaking every record known to man, and he still had speed left that he wasn't using. And uh, just, it was a remarkable display of what appeared to be, you know, super athletics, right? Something above and beyond the pale, something very, very, uh, gifted if you will. And I think we see the same kind of thing talked about in Jasher, but I think you're right. There was, there is something to be said about this, uh, seed of the woman and the supernatural aspect to it. And, you know, I've been, believe me, man, I've been taking heat for that, that video, uh, because people don't want to hear but there was a supernatural beginning and a supernatural conclusion in the DNA, in both the MTDNA and the Y DNA, that created something quite special. And when you get to Mashiach, you get to a singular DNA. And remember, he had no children. Right? So it was a singular DNA. Okay. So
11: with, so with, with, with the MTDNA... So the mitochondrial DNA, right? That's what we're saying. So that was traveling on the X chromosome, right? And Abraham would have provided the Y. And then this travels down to Mashiach. And would you say in Mary, I mean, there's a couple different ways of looking at this. Either she had implanted in her a zygote, a divine zygote, right? Already fertilized egg. Or... Was it her egg with the Y chromosome portion being uh, made available via the, the Ruach hovering over her, kind of like he hovered over the waters causing the... Fruit yes, the
4: and
0: I think the latter is the case. And I think you're making a really good a really good question here. I think the latter is the case. And the reason why is because... He is called at the very first verse in Matthew one the son of, of David, mm-hmm. right? The son of David and the son of Abraham. So there has to be a linkage somewhere to that bloodline, and the bloodline cannot come through the Y DNA. Ultimately, it has to be the final expression of the Y DNA, but captured in the empty in the in the X chromosome of the woman. And so, uh, you know, look, I'm not an expert on genetics, but I don't think that if you had a divine zygote that you could link him to say he was the son of Abraham or the son of David. And so you have something really, uh, uh, you have that possibility. You have the linkage to Abraham, you have the linkage to David, but it comes, it begins with the seed of the woman in Sarah and culminates with the seed of the woman in Miriam. And so it's a divine, Y DNA that's given at the last minute. And again, you know, when we were studying the Torah, you know, a lot of people teach that, oh, well, Mashiach had to come and die so that Yahweh could remarry Yasharel. Well, the Torah does not provide that at all. The Torah says that if a woman is put away in divorce and she marries another man, even if that other man dies, she cannot remarry her first husband. That's what the Torah actually says. So all of that stuff that was taught in the Christian church is kind of taught uh, in ignorance of the true Torah. And so really what's happening here is that you have something that that is taking place that is a singular DNA. Mashiach has no children. Therefore, you have this DNA at one time in history and you don't have this DNA at any other point. And it is without epigenetic sin in the mtDNA and without epigenetic sin in the Y-DNA. And so I think, and it happens over 42 generations, which I yet do not have a handle on why it's 42 generations and not 49 or 50. Why is it 42? I don't know.
11: Linking uh, to but, maybe the 42 places that Israel visited during the Exodus,
0: possibly. Yeah, another that, That's possibly it. Yeah. Those 42 places. I mean, it could be a number of things, but that's a very good point right there. And uh, so, you know, again, we see, uh, you know, there's so much here that is just a massive mystery that unfolds there in Matthew 1. And it's, I think it's really incumbent upon us to look at this and see this, because when you accept what's in the current English Bible, you know, that Joseph, the husband of Mary, is the one identified in Matthew 1, if you accept that premise, then then Mashiach is completely divorced from the line of David and completely divorced from the line of Abraham. You can't tie him to the claim in Matthew 1. You can't do it. And so this is part of the reason why, why uh, this mystery has to be carefully unfolded. But when it is unfolded, uh, you know, And I think the question you're asking here, Philip, is really, really a good one. You know, was it a divine psycho, or was it just the divine Y-DNA that was given at that time? And I think it has to be, in order for the scripture to be true, it has to be just the Y-DNA that was given at that time.
11: Well, I think if not, then it becomes just a case of a human acting as a surrogate, as a, you know, no different than... You know, a woman today can have a uh, carry someone else's baby completely, a fertilized egg. Um, then it wouldn't satisfy as son of Yah and son of man. So, and to claim of the seed of David and Abraham, there has to be that direct connection genetically that he shares with humanity, versus. Um, No humanity in him, just a human suit.
0: Yeah, really, I mean, just really well put. I mean, that's really well thought through, Philip, because otherwise, Miriam is just a surrogate. Miriam's just a hager, right? So, what do we care if it's Miriam or if it's Hannah or if it's somebody else? It's just a surrogate. If it's a divine zygote, it's just a surrogate woman. But but the linkage is more clear than that by linking her directly to David through Solomon. We have a direct line of kings. And and of course, her father, Joseph, had two daughters and no sons. So this was the divine orientation and the divine fulfillment that would take place over 42 generations. I mean, really, really good points. The logic is impeccable. Thank you for that, Philip. Appreciate that. Okay, Deborah how are you, sister?
7: I'm fine, how are you doing?
0: Uh, very good, very good.
7: My question is, um, what's the significance of Caleb's name? I know I had two wonderful dogs, and they had no fear, and they were great protectors. So I thought that that was some correlation. And the other thing I was thinking about is the two sarabs—is that what they're called on, on the on the altar? They had so much power that. You know, that, that I think that's why they were put on this banner. And then they had the four faces, which related to the tribes, right? The four...
0: Yeah. Uh, now, what was your first Debra. question again, uh, Deborah, I didn't
4: hear... Uh, about,
7: about Caleb. Caleb, the name Caleb, because my my step-grandson's uh, name was Caleb. And so we looked it up and it meant dog. And yeah. um, I told him, you know, a dog is so special. I mean, it can be your protector. It can be your guide. It can... You know they're they're great servants.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's true. I mean, you know, we have we uh, you know, uh, Steph and I have a dog, you know, Mishka, you know, and uh,
2: she's
0: uh, her name is Mishka. Mishka, mine was uh, a- <laughs> Yeah, there you go. And she's a uh, she is a uh, what's called a Bernedoodle, so she's half Bernese Mountain Dog, half Standard Poodle, big dog, and she does the work we ask her to do, which is to be the guard dog in the house, you know. She goes out there roaring at everything that comes by and we know everything that's going on because Mishka's at home, you know, so she's a good dog. We, we really love her. And you're right. I mean, dogs are great companions and uh, you know, and uh, you know, it's nice to come home and your dog is just jumping up and down in joy with the fact that you walk back in the, in the living room, you know, for a half an hour. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you're right about that. You're right about that. And of course the scripture, you know, alliterates the name Caleb as a hero he is a hero to the house of Yasharel and uh, so yeah that's a good point yeah and you know when you talk about the power the power of the seraphim I mean Ezekiel someday I'm going to spend time on that you know crazy chapter of Ezekiel 1 and go through that and spend some time talking about the the um the ofanim that are that are sitting there and the seraphim that there he doesn't describe it he doesn't call them seraphim but they are. And we'll talk a lot more about what the, the significance of the seraphim are. They're very powerful creatures, and they have very powerful content. Well, thank you for that, Deborah. E. I appreciate that. Let's go to Mary and Randy. Thank you, Sister.
2: Hey, Dr. P. Um, hey. Have, how, are, how are you today? You look great. Hey,
7: well, thank you. Bad. I appreciate that.
8: <laughs> hey, hey, um, hey, I I had a question, uh, I wondered what you thought about the genetic significance of John 2, 19 through 21, Yahusha speaking to the Yahudim and he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And the Yahudim said 46 years was this temple in building and you will rear it up in three days. And the 46, of course, it just could be arbitrary but it's also you know, the amount of chromosomes we have. So I just wondered if you felt like there was any genetic significance to that.
0: Oh, there could be, that could be, you know, genetic significance into the fort because it shows man built, right? Man made 46 years man made, right?
3: Mm
11: -hmm. That's what it's trying
0: to say there. And when you talk about that, the 46 years of the man made of the temple, remember that was the, technically that was not the second temple. That was the third temple. The first temple to actually took more than 46 years of of the rebuilding of the second temple. Because it began around 523 BC and wasn't finished until 417 BC. The 46 years is the remodel of Herod. It's the remodel of Herod and the, which was a man-made accomplishment. Okay. Thank you, Mary. John Barr. How are you?
1: Yeah, real oh. quick. <laughs> Excuse me, don't be quick. About- Don't be quick, be long. I'll be long then. <clears throat> let me get my voice back. <clears throat> in bad air. Um, yeah, yeah. Caleb. Caleb was put in command of the tribe of Judah when they were beginning to cross into the Canaan, across the Jordan. He was not in the direct line of. Judah. He was not a Prince of Judah. The direct line person was, would have been Salmon. But Salmon, you figure the ages of the line of Judah, the direct line was too young and inexperienced to command a tribe that would be the tip of the spear. So there's a reason Joshua chose Caleb for that job because he knew um, he would not fail. He was a seasoned warrior by that time. Both of them were in were 80 years old or so and still in their prime. In fact, when, when they were handing out the land, <laughs> it's a great conversation between Caleb and Joshua. Remember, they were two of the 10 of the 12 spies who were ready to go in and take the land. Anyway, so they had come together out of out of Egypt, out of slavery with Moses, and then through 40 years in the wilderness with all these fighting, all these people that got in the way. And now they're going in, start the conquest of Canaan and when that was done and they were handing out the land Caleb came to Joshua and he said (laughs) you remember what Moshe said that we could have wherever our foot trod we could own that and Joshua said yeah I remember that what do you want he said well there's there's I don't remember the name of the mountain but he said there's a mountain over here still got giants up there I want to go up there and kill all those guys and take that land. <laughs> so he was the guy for the job. Eventually Salmon got into that position, married Rahab, and they had their son was Boaz. So that's the other part of the story. Um but anyway <clears throat> the other the other thing was the seed the seed and Sarah and Mary, you know, I I love this subject. And you you did a great job on that presentation uh, the other day, filling the details out. And if anybody bothers you, if you want, send them to me. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate Uh, that, (laughs) John. I love love that. That connected so much. Um, when, When we came across that, it was like, wow, look at this. That's incredible. And without knowing anything about DNA, we would never know. So that's the best answer until somebody comes up with something else. Um, But the other thing that's neat about both of these two women, and in in the case of Sarah, Abraham and Sarah, they were there when the angels told them that she's going to have a child, a son. And they both laughed, remember? They didn't believe it. Yep. It's not possible. So the answer to their laughing was, is there anything too hard for Yahweh? Yeah. So that's the answer today. You don't understand it, but is there anything too hard? I can't say I really understand all that. That's what it says. But you know what, John?
0: I don't want to understand it. I just don't don't understand. understand I just want to believe that there is
1: nothing too hard for Yah, and that's that. Amen. I I do not need an explanation. I I get to a point where I'm like, okay, I've I've answered my own question with the scripture. Let's move on to something else. And uh, but it was the same question that Mary had. When Gabriel told her, "You're gonna have a, you're gonna have a kid," you know, she's like, "Hey, how's that gonna happen? I don't know anybody. You know, they don't even let me out of the house." (laughs) Yeah, right. He he did. You know, both of them got an explanation that the the spirit is gonna overshadow you, overpower you, whatever. Whatever the the details, and read it read it for themselves. But the same question. It's unbelievable for these women, but the answer was, is there anything too difficult for Yahweh? <laughs> yeah, is there anything
0: too difficult? And you know, uh-huh. the beauty of that is, you know, when when, uh, when I was in Israel, you know, we saw some um, Bedouin uh, and the Bedouins would live out in, I mean, basically they live out in like visqueen tents, you know, out in the yeah. desert. Yeah. And, uh, but we saw this gal, she was a girl, Maybe she was 12, 13, 14, and she's out by herself in the desert with the sheep, and she's wearing her black robes with a black hood. And I said, How can they possibly leave this girl alone out here with just the sheep? And I said, and they and they the guides told me, You think she's alone, she's not alone. And they know exactly where she is, and they know exactly what she's doing. And if anybody were to hurt her the kind of wrath that would come upon those people for doing any damage to that Bedouin girl. And it would happen for generations, right? It wouldn't just happen. Let's kill the guy that hurt her. Oh no, it'd be generations. Your family's gone for generations. And uh, you know, and so the virgins of Israel were something you're right. I mean, they wouldn't let them out of the house, you know, and it's an important thing that they wouldn't let them out of the house because but, but the, protection, the protecting of virginity is the central facet that renders a society uh, righteous. It renders a society healthy. If there's one thing you want to do to make your society healthy, it is to protect virginity of the children until they're married and then protect their marriages thereafter. If you destroy those two things, you will render a society completely inert. It becomes nothing. It just becomes a decadent, you know, uh, a feed fest where people are sitting at the table stuffing them, themselves with food until they get so obese they fall over dead. That's it. There's nothing left. And uh, so
1: that's part of it. Well, John, I want to yeah. thank you for that. Thank you, brother. Yeah. We're, we'll we're no, we're witnessing the end of a culture right here. Yeah,
0: we are. Yeah, we are. And I don't know. I mean, you know, there's times when I talk about this, John, and I really pray about it that the culture will turn, you know, but it's not up to our politicians to turn. It's up to us to turn. We have to turn this. But there will be a remnant. Yeah, but I mean, I agree with that. I mean, when you look at, when I look at what's going on with the current generation, that is the generation that needs to turn, right? When they interview them on the streets of New York and they can't tell you how many states there are, they can't tell you what continent we live on, they don't know who we fought in the Revolutionary War. They don't know what you, they don't even know what year the war of 1812 was. I mean, you know, what color is George Washington's white horse? They can't answer that question. You know, so who fought the Mexican-American War? I mean, these kinds of things. It's just ridiculous. You have people that are absolutely incapable of thinking and are abjectly ignorant. They're just beyond comprehension. And this is the generation that's going to repent. This is the generation that's going to take on spiritual values. This is the generation that's going to rise up. No chance. No chance of it. And so we really have to see, we have to see people come into, uh, we really have to, you know, but is anything too hard for Yah? Well, I'll tell you, this one's going to be a challenge. Turning this culture around is going to be a real challenge. And he will do it, but he's going to do it through wrath. It's going to be through wrath. It is going to be through judgment, and through well, judgment,
1: yeah. There may be um, there may be a people that we we can't see because they're not in the cities. They're in the rural communities. They're in the wilderness already, out there, on the farms and the ranches, on the lakes and the rivers and swamps and the bios. Can't see them. Nobody ever asked them any questions. But I think they know the answers to all those historical questions because their parents are teaching them that stuff. Cities are all blue surrounded in a sea of red. And uh, I'm not talking about politics, I'm talking about the conservative communities. Um, I don't know. I think it's very dangerous for the or the blue cities. They're surrounded by islands. Yeah, they're surrounded by I don't live in the city. I live, on the, I live in the county. You know, I'm going further into the forest with, with the horse farm.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, when you talk about that, I mean, one person said it's very easy to take down Generation Z, just write all your instructions in cursive.
1: That's right. I, I saw that it. the other day. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> he was, was so a comedian, cool. but right on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, such so
1: is the truth at all. We do, is well, anything yeah. too hard for you? Uh,
0: no. <laughs> no nothing he, he and, I, I, and i want to believe it just like that yeah. no no Good no enough. uh no additions to it let's just believe it like that amen just watch well, watch you. and see yeah, yeah. okay well, let's go to j.s the congregation of elohim in new york right j.s you're in the congregation of elohim in new
12: york hey happy sabbath thank thank you brother yes this yeah, is for being front thank you thank you very much um yeah, um, I, just so much spinning in in my my head. But just want to say thank thank you for sending me the link to to Beyond. Um, just listening with everything that's that's going on, we're in a situation that um, seems very dark and difficult, and it is. But um, I, I, one of the things we we have to think think about is being reorganized um and what i'm saying but as a bot as the body of messiah um we're not what we're supposed to to be in if i may say the way we're organized back then um the, the children of, of israel when they were ob- obedient they had a certain structure they had a certain or- organization based on how elohim um Arranged it when, when the faithful leaders like Moses, Joshua, and the others led them. And so they were victorious against in, in the battles that they, were, they had to encounter. When, when Messiah came, he re in, in Matthew 16, verse 18, I think is where it says, I will build my ecclesia, my edah, or my kahal, whichever word you want to put there, and the gates of Sheol will not prevail against it. So, and from that point on, you see the continuation of the the word ecclesia, filling the subsequent books in the New Testament. Prior to that statement, you you don't see the word ecclesia, in the New Testament. So, and he organized it, placed it in a certain structure, had a certain that we should, should be so tightly united that we're even to call his body, right? That has been decimated. Um, um, by falsehood lies from, from the adversary um, um, structures and, and, and goals arranged by people who are not really his servants. And so the congregations have all sorts of names and, and, and by those very names are separated so that they don't even function. You, you know, if congregation A is in trouble, congregation B is not really so much concerned because there that's congregation a not con- congregation B if you know well, well, what I'm saying if one brother one leader does something wrong it doesn't really no one seems to be that con- concerned but if we were so so anyway I'm, I'm saying a little bit too too much but so but we're that's just, an
0: important yeah. point it's an important point you're making and yeah. I do know so- there been I have met other I've met other leaders who are concerned with what's happening uh, with their brethren in other Mm -hmm. ecclesias, you know, and and they're, they, but they're few and far between.
12: They are exactly the, and so that's why to me, one of the things that I came to understand is that we need to reorganize ourselves and be what Messiah wants us to be. And, and, and one of the, tricky things is that is to get our paradigm our thinking correct because we may think how do we reorganize everybody well we're not looking to messiah and elohim were not looking to reorganize everybody he said whosoever wills so i'm thinking like if there's a way we could really do a blanket search where we try to find all the people who would want this who would want to be reorganized and and led by the Messiah and then have a plan in how to address what's going on today to be that light. Like as we've been going through the book of Acts, now we're today where we just read after the holy days ended, we're back in Acts 18. And we're seeing how over and over, every step of the way the apostles went into the synagogues. The synagogues, the first place they went is the synagogues to find people of like mind, pe- people that that were at least had a semblance of Torah of ob- ob- observance, and and they did that, and 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 so what I'm trying to say, we need to find each other, you know, we I, and and I think having a um a, uh, an or a setting like you you have is, is a good thing, but for for us to also like literally do ground the groundwork where we go out with with proper information trained where we're asking our neighbors people near us in our local do you want to continue in what messiah is has been doing i i don't want to say rebuild or anything revive anything because it it never dies it's just that from generation to generation There may be more people willing to be obedient to the way of Messiah, while in other generations there may be less. But whether it's 10, whether it's two, or whether it's thousands, let's try to find them because Messiah can do wonders for us when we really unite the way he wants us to. And to end here, just remember his prayer in John chapter 17 before he passed, before he was arrested, crucified, and rose up again victoriously, he prayed for a certain type of unity. It, it, we need to really get to know each other. We really got, got to have to put our hands to, to, together. So I guess what, what I'm saying, let's see what we can do to reunite the body of Messiah. That is those who are willing and then work towards being that bright light in the world.
0: Well JS I want to thank you for that word and thank you for you're, you're, you're welcome sir. Yeah thank you for joining us today and thank you for that word. I think it's a very well spoken word. It's a very good idea, a very strong idea and it's something we are going to have to do. And uh, so thank you for articulating it well said and we'll let us take that into heart and see what we can do. Let's take it from thank here. You. Okay, thank you JS. Really appreciate that brother. Thank you. Okay, Olesey, where are you, brother?
4: Shabbat
10: <laughs> shalom, Dr. Pigeon. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom to the callout assembly. How is everyone doing today? We're, we're doing great, we're doing great. Okay, uh, I had a question. Um, just a minute, um, uh, I think I'm gonna start with Philippine. Um, two, chapter 10 to 11. That in the name of Yahusha, every knee shall bow and of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue shall confess that Yahusha, Yahweh is Yahusha Amashiach to the glory of Elohim, the father. So I have a second witness to that. Um, This shall make war with the lamb and the lamb shall overcome them for he is yeah, our Adonai, the King of Kings, and they are, uh, they that are with Him are called the chosen and faithful. That is Revelation seventeen, chapter fourteen. But my question is in Revelation um, one six, and has made us kings and priests unto Elohim and His Father. The other one says Elohim is the Father, but this one is saying Elohim and His Father to him be the glory and dominion forever. So I kind of got confused there. So that's my question.
0: Yeah. And this is a very good question because when we talk about uh, Elohim,
1: uh,
0: Elohim and, you know, uh, hold on just a second. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, When we talk about Elohim, you know, this is not an easy, uh, uh, an easy answer because there are many, quote unquote, Elohim, like for instance, when you look in Genesis 1-6, I believe it is, or no, not 1-6, uh, 126, maybe, and Elohim said uh, to each other, right, let us make man in our image. And so you have this plural, this statement of plurality uh, right off the bat. And I mean, believe me, I've looked at that verse, I don't know how many times. Trying to find out if it was plural or not. And it is plural. And you know, it says that Yahweh is, you know, the, the supreme Elohim. So when we talk about Elohim, you're talking about um, something that is a more of a title than it, is a, than it is a name, right? It's it's a yes. it's a but and it describes uh, a, a supernatural being in heaven, right? And but oh, no. Shiac says, "You criticized me because I told you that I said I am a son of Elohim, and yet the Scripture says you are all sons of Elohim. You are all Beni Elohim." Well, this is interesting too, and so this is something that this is much more. It can be confusing, well, to say, but it is something that is much more. Than what you might think, and so okay. when we talk about Philippians 2:11, see Philippians 2.11. This I've written about this, I don't know, three, four times. It's a very difficult passage, but it is a passage that is so ironic because Paul in Romans would say that every knee shall bend and every tongue shall confess that Yahweh is Elohim. But then he goes on to yeah. say in in Philippians, oh no! Every knee and every tongue is going to bow and say that Yahusha to the name Yahusha. Well, how is this? How is this possible? How does this make sense? Is Paul a liar in Romans or is Paul a liar in in in, in Philippians? <laughs> you know, so which so one confusing. is confusing? Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> and but the but the answer is that we get the the only possible way you can answer this. That at the name of Yahusha, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Yahweh is Yahusha HaMashiach to the glory of Elohim the Father. And so what we see here is that the word is made flesh and tabernacles among us. You see, there is just no way to, uh, there's no other way to understand it. It's not uh, something that is separated from Yah. Now, I believe the sun is... something, it's unique. It's It's One, Yeah. It it is, it's true. It's Echad. And so this is why, as difficult as it may be to understand, it is just something that we kind of have to wrap our heads around to understand that (laughs) Yah has made himself known to his people. Because Yah himself is a consuming fire. You cannot know, you cannot see, you cannot talk to. It's a consuming fire. But he would make himself known to his people in Yahusha, that when Yahusha when he made
10: himself known to Moses, to Moshe, he asked um, Moshe to cover his face or something like that, um, so that he can see his back. Moshe couldn't see his face, because he would have died if he witnessed uh, Yahweh's face.
0: That's right. And so this is one of the things that we have to try to understand in Scripture. And so Paul and Isaiah... They agree that every knee and every and shall bow and every tongue shall confess Yahweh, but in confessing the name of Yahusha, in which the name of Yahu, Yahu is found, the name of Yahu is yes. found in Yahusha. That you you it's confessing one and the same thing. It's one and the same thing, yes. and that's why. Yes. Uh, yeah, so very good point, uh, anyway, Thank good you, to say. Anyway, Good to hear from you again. <laughs> okay. Thank you, sir. Okay, Shabbat, shalom. Shabbat shalom, you bet. Okay, let's go to Lorraine. Lorraine, how are you? Lorraine? Lorraine, are you there? I know you are. You're trying to find a Hello, way. Hello, can
4: you. you hear me now? Yeah. Can you hear nowadays. me now? Yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, so I, I guess well, I wrote it in the chat, but maybe you didn't see it. But to touch on what you just said, a question I have because it puzzles me as well. Genesis one, God created us in his image. And yes, as you said, plural, but then in Genesis two, we were, man was formed from the dust. So how, how do you get, the difference between those two humans, that's something that I keep trying to understand because it's it's male and female that in Genesis one he created in our image. I often say, you, hear you say something must have happened some between, you know, the the last thousand years. I often hear you say that. Um, and then in Genesis two he formed us, man and woman, from the dust. So what's the difference between those two, male and females. That's just something I just, I have a hard time understanding. If you can give some information about that, I would appreciate it.
0: Sure. Now, I've spoken about this quite a bit in some recent videos, but it, it there is something happening here that is worth noting. Because when you look at, uh, when we look at, let me just—I'm going to pull up Esword real quick, and let's look at one twenty-six. Okay, uh, let's see. Here we go. Genesis one twenty-six, and I'll show you why I had such a problem with this verse. Because when we, when you, when you say, "Is that really in the plural?" and the answer is, "Yeah, it's really in the plural," because you're going to see now. Remember that the the suffix "new." When you have the when you have the vob at the end, this the, the suffix new means us or our, right? And so we're going to see here this kind of thing. Okay. But salem nu. But salem nu. And then we're also going to have here. Ketamot Nu, Nu. So you see the you see that the new, which is this idea of noon vav. And so this is our likeness and our image, right? And so this this is you can't get around the plurality of those words. It's definitely in the plural. You can't get around it. Okay, well, there's something happening here that is very interesting because. What we're seeing here is that you're seeing that there's one creation taking place in Genesis 1. There is another creation taking place in Genesis 2. That Yah Elohim, and he's referred to as Yahweh Elohim in Genesis 2 for the first time. Yahweh Elohim, the creator, he who breathes life, and he's going to be referred to as breathing life in that passage where he has initially proclaimed as Yahweh Elohim, is breathing life into the dust, which he formed at the earth. And this dust then becomes Adam and he places the man in the garden. So the man is created outside the garden and then he's placed in the garden. You see? And so this is, I think a second creation. So you have male and female, uh, beings on the earth man male and female beings on the earth in Genesis one and they're here actually they're created in the sixth day and then there's the seventh day of rest so that's two thousand years then there's the first day of the second tier of creation that's three thousand years and then man is created on the second day in Genesis 2 so there's three thousand years of beings and this is my opinion now this is my interpretation of scripture it's not given to you explicitly I'm just giving you my Interpretation: There's three thousand years of beings on the earth before Adam formed, and so this is why when Cain says, "Uh, you know, if they're gonna, that Cain is going to be kicked out of the garden," and Cain says, "Anyone who finds me will kill me." Well, at that point, if you accept only the Adam narrative, the only other two people on earth are Adam and and, and Eve, Adam and Hua. So, who's going to kill him? Adam and Hua are going to okay. kill him. There's other species on earth that are going to kill him. And there's other species, you you can call them the sons of Elohim, the Elohim that made them in their image and likeness, their image and their likeness. And they made them in their image and their likeness. And these would be called the Beni Elohim, the Beni Elohim, the sons of Elohim, which gives us a completely different connotation when we understand what takes place in Genesis 6, 4 that the Bnei Elohim came unto the, to the sons of, of the daughters of, of man, that came unto the daughters of Adam. The Bnei Elohim came unto the daughters of Adam. And who are the Bnei Elohim? Well, Job 1, six, Job 2, one. They were walking around with HaSatan, who was going to and from heaven, back and forth from heaven, and to and from upon the face of the earth. Now, again, this is just my interpretation and so i'm going to leave it at that and leave you guys to ponder that as we break into this upcoming week we're going to break into shavuot tov and i want to thank you guys for being present during the sabbath meeting thank you for being such a blessing and we will see you next saturday and hopefully this meeting actually went live on telegram wouldn't that be just that sweet <laughs> thank and, you dr uh, p Hey, you bet, you guys. Thank you, Krista. And thank you, Lorraine, for your question. And thank all of you guys for being present. And with that, I'm going to give us a hearty and a resounding blessing first. May Yah bless you and keep you. May may Yah cover you with his wings and take care of you. May he be your strong tower, your mighty fortress. May he cover you with his wings. May he bless you in his mercy and his grace and his loving kindness. May his name be poured out upon you. May his healing come over you and heal you from the head to the very toe. May he heal your relationships. May your families and your friends be restored unto you. May forgiveness walk within you. May you forgive and forget those things that have harmed you so greatly and come to love your neighbor as yourself. May Yah be a blessing unto you in all things, because is anything too difficult for Yahweh?
2: Blessings. Amen.
1: Shabbat
4: shalom. Amen. Shalom. Shalom. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
11: Al- Amen. Thank you. Yes, Amen. Amen. shalom.
2: Well? Yeah. 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 Bon! shalom. Frightened. shalom. shalom.
10: shalom. shalom.
2: Shalom everyone. Shabbat shalom, Shabbat shalom, everyone. shalom, everyone. Love you guys. Goodbye, shalom. Goodbye, shalom.
3: Goodbye,
2: everyone. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye,
3: everyone. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye, everyone. bye bye. shalom.
2: everyone. bye, bye.